Well, good evening, everybody. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. This on the very eve of my 48th birthday, 24th of September, 2014. Yo, these many moons ago, pushing a half century. Uh, it's important when you get older not to think of yourself as turning 48, but being in your 49th year. I find that pretty much makes you feel like some goddamn elf stole 365 days from you. And uh, I hope you're doing great. I had an uh, interesting uh, birthday. My daughter came toddling into the room at 12.15. Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> Actually, Daddy was hoping to be hearing that from his dream lover. Uh, his right hand. But um, yeah, so she uh, came in and she actually didn't get back to sleep till about 2.15. So we uh, bundled up and went outside, looked at the stars, and I explained why the stars flicker. Uh, it's because of the state and child abuse. And um, so, because remember, everything in this show is the state and or child abuse. If you're playing the FDR drinking game, take a drink. <laughs> actually, I just get these people stone drunk in the intro but um uh so yeah we and then she finally got back to sleep around sort of 2 15 in the morning and then uh, i had to get up at uh, about 7 40 to anyway so um it was a, a bit of a a bit of a slow brain day but i'm uh juiced up with coffee and ready to roll uh this evening so i hope you're having a uh, a wonderfully great day i certainly am and um you know people say how does it feel to be getting older well, for those of you who don't know, and there may be a few out there, last year I was diagnosed with cancer, specifically lymphoma, which is a rather dangerous and somewhat tricky um, blood-borne cancer. And uh, the guy from Dexter, the actor from Dexter, actually had the same thing. And also one of the musicians from Metallica. And um, uh, causal risk factors are basically an, an excess of logical sexiness. Uh, it seems to be the biggest single risk factor, as you can imagine, I would be patient zero pretty much for the planet on that. So um, the reality is that if you face something like that down, there's no bad birthday after that. I think that's, that's sort of what I'm trying to to get across here. People say, how, how do you feel about getting older? Great. <laughs> Because the alternative was not something that would be particularly great. So um, uh, all, all that experience last year of, of, of cancer and chemo, radiation therapy, and so on, plus you know massive amounts of coffee enemas, uh, um, uh, artichoke hearts, uh, uh, leprechaun brains, and all of the other helpful medical advice that came pouring into my inbox, um, really sort of helped me never ever complain about aging um and i think that's an important thing i will never ever complain about aging uh, in the future because when you stare down into the giant whitewater shark rapids of the alternative well the creaks and groans that happen when you start getting around the half century mark are absolutely fine so anyway have a uh uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with everyone this evening. If you would like to help out the show as per normal. Oh, yeah. And just in case you had any question, I am going to milk my mother's vaginal agony for money. So because it's my birthday, I hope that you will send in uh, some cash, uh, some bitcoins. Uh, uh, we also taking Ren's Beaks, 
uh, uh, otters' noses uh, because apparently uh, bushmeat is very popular in certain sections of the United States. We're starting a thriving import-export business. And um, so if you can go to fdrurl.com slash donate, fdrurl.com slash donate to help out do not make my mother's agony have been in vain. So please come and help me out on my birthday. I would really, really appreciate it. So, uh, all right. I believe I have raised the caliber of the show yet again. So let's move on with the callers. All right. Up first today is Mike. And Mike wrote in and said, I'm trying to get my business off the ground, but I'm having a hard time getting myself moving. My girlfriend just moved in and is financially supporting me while things are getting started. It's been a source of stress in our relationship, and I don't want to put undue stress on her and further contribute to the already tumultuous start to our relationship. Do you have any advice? Why is the relationship tumultuous to begin with? Oh, right off the bat, eh? (laughs) Getting right into it. Um, well, we had been together for about, uh, four months and, uh, she was working at a ski hill and, uh, some, she was working at a what? relationship at a ski hill. A ski hill. Okay. I thought you said a steel. She was steel. working at a steel. Okay. No, she's a no. bank robber. That might no. be tumultuous. Okay. Working at a ski hill. Got it. <laughs> yep. And, uh, there were some extra relationship activities that went on up there without me present if you know what i mean okay don't look look man i'm too old for euphemisms <laughs> i don't know what extra relationship yeah. activities did you mean you had like group sex with yaks in a hot tub i don't know what the hell that means no she slept with someone else up there okay okay hang on. okay oh lord okay so you meet the girl she works on a ski hill and you're dating her your boyfriend girlfriend you're dating and she sleeps around with someone else. She's unfaithful to you. Uh, do I have it right so far? Yeah. <clears throat> do you want me to tell you the actual story, like the actual details of what happened? or? Nope. Nope. Okay. And so how, okay. how far into your relationship did this um, happen? Uh, it was about four months. So she had just finished another job, and she was applying for a job. She's a, she's a chef. And she was applying for a job at Ski Hill, and uh, it was a little bit too soon in the relationship for me to, I didn't feel like I should be voicing my apprehensions um, about her working up there. And I kind of kept it to myself. And uh, then as the relationship went on, she apparently got blackout drunk one night and slept with someone else. So, Is she there? No, she's actually, she's... Uh, Supposed to be home from work fairly soon here, so she wanted to listen to the show. So, got it. All right, all right. So she uh, slept with another man. Yeah. And she claims that she was blackout drunk. Yeah. Which we've also heard before, right? I mean, on this show, which neither here nor yeah. there. Now, how did she know if yeah. she was so blackout drunk? How does she know she actually slept with someone? Uh, woke up with him the next morning. Ah, okay, okay. And uh, did she uh, use protection? Did he? No. And did they? Uh, did she get screened for um, sexually transmitted diseases? Yeah, the screening wasn't really necessary. And why is that? I had uh, she brought something home, so 
Oh, so she she came back with an STD that she got from this guy who had sex with her while she was blackout drunk? Yeah. And what did she come home with? Uh, one of the, I think it was uh, chlamydia. Right. So something treatable, right? Yeah, treatable, yeah. Okay. And how did she know that she had chlamydia? Uh, I knew. She gave it to me, and I had the venerable stinging pee problem going on. So, uh, pissing fish hooks. Good, good time to go to the doctor. Yep. And did it clear up yep. with medication? Yeah. Okay. So four months into the relationship, she slept with someone else and given you an STD. Yeah. And then she moves in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you really think that your major issue is your entrepreneurial things? Well, she didn't move in immediately afterwards. Like, the oh, my God. Looking at oh, my I, God. You didn't just tell uh, me that. Uh, oh, my God. You didn't just tell me that, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure what you're does it does it really matter how long it was that she moved in I don't know I don't know this is this is kind of where I'm confused you know like we hadn't been together for too long once this happened and at the beginning of a relationship I mean like you don't immediately get into a relationship with someone and it's exclusive right off the bat and uh um, I wasn't really sure how sex? to handle hang it. On, she's hang, a on. Good, she's a hang on, hang on, hang on. Were you having sex with her? Yes. Did you know she was having sex with other people? No. Well, it wasn't really. It was. It was one person, as far as I know. But so. see, her intentions. I mean. Was she supposed to be exclusive with you? Because is that why she's saying, well, I was blackout drunk and that's why I had sex with the other guy? I don't know. Like, we had never really had any sort of an exclusivity talk at that point. Like, we were still, at that point, obviously, we weren't living together and we were kind of seeing each other. But there was no, like, full-on exclusivity talk. So, like, we weren't, you know, calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend or any of that stuff. So... And she presented it as though it were, you know, a slip up, which I, which I believe it was. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much uh, stock you can put in that, but I kind of took her at her word there. So, so slip up meaning like it wasn't my fault because I was drinking. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, so I guess I can use that defense. So, like, if I get blind drunk, get into a car and kill someone, I can say, well, hey, man, I was drunk. So it's not a problem, right? Yeah. No, I know. And I've struggled with this, too. I know exactly what you're saying. There's there's all, obviously has to be some liability there. But, um, like, the scenario that I was presented with is that she wasn't drinking with any, like, close friends. She didn't really have anyone there watching her. And... She got a little bit. She didn't have anyone watching her. What are you saying? Okay, when she walks down the street, is she holding a rope with a lot of other children? (laughs) 
Is she saying that unless she's closely monitored, she might get drunk and fall on a penis? No, I don't think so. Like, unless she has bodyguards ringing her, unless she has bodyguards ringing her to keep the STD-ridden penis poles at bay, they're just going to get through her perimeter of drunkenness? Yeah. How hot is this woman? You've got to explain this to me. I don't understand this at all. Yeah, I, uh, you know what, I, I don't know, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. You're not answering my question. You're not answering my question. Okay, one to ten, right, because I need to know. Okay, one to ten, what do we got? Oh, jeez. Seven and a half. And where would you put yourself on the scale? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Probably maybe around a five. I'm a little overweight right now, so... Okay, so you're jumping two and a half points up, right, on the scale. So you're you're looking to go a whole sure. quarter up, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's a pretty arbitrary scale, I think, but it's not that yeah. arbitrary, actually. People usually are pretty pretty clear about this stuff. And I'm not I mean, the reason that and people get upset when I ask these questions, but there's important reasons to ask the question, which is if you feel attractive wise insecure relative to your partner then you will give her more resources in order to uh, make up for that. You'll have a desire to do that unless you know that about yourself. Or if she's way up there in the attractiveness scale, then she with, say, chlamydia gets knocked down to your level and you feel more egalitarian, right? Yeah, no, I see what you're getting at. I know know what you mean. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with, with different scales, like with with a five going for a seven and a half or whatever, but you have to be really clear that your penis wants to climb up that ladder, right? Your penis wants to go from five to seven and a half. Why? Because physical attractiveness is a sign of genetic fitness, even features uh, and so on. It's a sign of particularly right. um, women who have alpha male features, which is high cheekbones and stuff, uh, square jaws. Uh, they... Yeah. Um, they indicate that they come from alpha male stock and so they genetic fitness and so on. So uh, our, our penis constantly wants to go jetpacking up the scale of attractiveness, right? And uh, everybody's yeah. aware of this. Is, and it's not, it's, again, it's not the only factor uh, in life, but it's something we need to be really aware of so that we don't get exploited, right? Yeah, no, and I understand that. And I mean, I'm not, I wasn't trying to say I'm an ugly guy. Like, I'm just, I'm a little bit over overweight right now, but I've got a good build and good features. And uh, I do bring other things to the party. So, um, you know, I think that we're, that we're a good match. But uh, this is, I mean, like I said, this is definitely one of the things that I've struggled with in our relationship. And uh, trying to rebuild some, some trust. And I, I knew that you were going to have a, a bit of a meltdown when I when I told you about that. So I was kind of expecting. And do you know? Do, do reaction, you know why? So. Do you know why I'm having a meltdown? Uh, because basically, I committed after having a massive breach of trust. No, I'm having a meltdown because I'm you're assuming? not, and because this is not the topic of the conversation. This was sort of thrown into one side, right? Oh yeah. And you don't seem yeah, to be well, particularly I mean, bothered by it. Oh, believe you me. I mean, I've gone through. I've I've worked through a hell of a lot of grief, you know. And I, there's still okay. Obviously, where is uh, she sleeping? 
in bed next to me. Right. So you're not that bothered by it because after four months, she betrays you. She sleeps with another guy, infects you with a contagious disease, and moves in. Yeah. Ah. Ah. If you heard the story yeah. from someone else, Mike, what would you say? Yeah, it's, it's kind of fucked up. Look, are you going to emotionally engage in this conversation at all? Because it just sounds like you're describing uh, the menu from a restaurant that closed 12 years ago. No, I, I'm, I'm emotionally engaged. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to break down in tears or anything, but. Oh, I'm not asking you to break down. I'd, <laughs> I'd be happy if you got angry. Yeah. Like, okay, what, me, the, what the fuck is missing in your heart, Mike? That a woman who fucks another guy and gives you a disease, you're like, let's make a go of it. Like, what is what happened to you? And I mean this with sympathy. What happened to you, Mike, that this is even within the realm of possibility in your life? Yeah, I don't know. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let's talk about your mom. Mm-hmm. So, tell me a little bit about your first experience of the feminine, let's say. First experience with which, sorry? Tell me about uh, what was your relationship with your mother like? What was your mother's relationship with your father like? Um, well, my dad was certainly... My dad was a big alcoholic, so I guess my early memories of my mom were, uh, I guess, friction with friction with him. Um, so you get that the woman. Hang on, hang on a second. I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you just right after you asked, yeah. but I don't want to forget. So you understand yeah. that your father was an alcoholic, and your girlfriend claims—I hate to say girlfriend. <sighs> Your father was an alcoholic, and the girl you're with now uses alcohol as an excuse for bad behavior. Yeah, well, she did in that one instance. Do you think that it's a good idea, if you were raised by an alcoholic, to be with someone who drinks to blackout, has sex, and infects you with a disease that can actually kill your fertility? Yeah, it certainly might not be the best uh, life choice, that's for sure. All right. So, are your parents still no, married? Like we, we, no, my dad died when I was sixteen, so he's been gone. And for your a long mom's, time. and now, how how bad an alcoholic was he? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, at sixteen, I wasn't really in a position to to judge, having no experience with alcohol myself at that age. But according to my mom, he was a fairly big alcoholic. Like I remember him coming home from work, and uh, he'd, he'd have. A number of beers after work. How many exactly? I can't say. But uh, I remember, as I got older, I, I certainly remember a few experiences of him being, you know, fully intoxicated. Then, how often would that happen? Um. Well, I lived with him from when I was, uh, I think, fourteen until I was sixteen, and over those two years, um, the point of like. Full-on intoxication, I, I would say, 
maybe once or twice, but there would be you know, weekends where we'd go away where I'm sure he would smash through a through a two four over the course of a weekend or over the course of you know a day, maybe eighteen beers for a day, like a drinking pretty much all day 18 long. Beer? So. Wait, wait. Are you saying eighteen beers in a day? Yeah. I mean, how do you, I mean, assuming you're not drinking 24 hours, I mean, how do you even survive that? Mm, yeah, <laughs> you're drunk by the end of the day, that's for sure. So I think with 18 beers, you're drunk a little bit before the end of the day. Okay, so a pretty significant alcoholic, right? Yeah. And what do you think of your mother's uh, decision to uh, stay with him? Uh, again, um, that's a difficult question, right? Because, you know, they were married young and uh, my mom had uh, my brother and I when she was fairly young. And uh, she also had a very poor support system from her parents. And uh, I would imagine, I mean, I've never been in this in this situation personally, but I imagine if you've got two young kids and a partner who isn't necessarily the best partner, you may feel like you're painted into a corner and you don't have too many options. But no, lots of women get, no, 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 no. Lots of, lots of women get divorced. Lots. And look, I'm yeah. not saying she should or shouldn't have. I don't know. But the idea that she didn't have a yeah. choice is not valid. 50% of marriages end in divorce huh. and they're not all to yeah. alcoholics, right? So your mother certainly had yeah. choices, right? Right. And that's why I said I, I, maybe she felt as though she didn't have a choice. But obviously, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I guess we can all say that, right? Have I felt like I didn't have a choice, and therefore, right? I mean, you can always say that if you want, right? <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, she had a choice, yeah. right? So she chose to let an alcoholic yeah. raise her children, co-raise her children. Yeah. Now, did your mother have any substance abuse problems or any other issues? No, she's always, uh, I mean, she's 52 or 53 now, and she's just getting to the point now she, she drinks more wine than she did. It's kind of loosening up a bit, which is, which is good. But back in those days, she rarely, if ever, drank anything. Right. And so the other thing that we have in common is you're not giving a lot of moral agency to the women around, right? Your girlfriend was blackout drunk. Uh, your mother you maybe felt like she didn't have any choices. She married young. She didn't have a support system from her parents. She had kids young, right? So it's all happening to them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I would respectfully invite you, given that my children is going, my, my daughter is going to inhabit the same planet that you do, I would really invite you to start giving some goddamn moral agency to the women around. They're not children. They're not infants. They're not uh, pets. They're not robots. They are adults with full, complete, and total moral agency and responsibility. This babying of yeah. women, this weird thing where it's like, well, they're helpless. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they were young. She was drunk. I mean, no, they are moral agents. Didn't they want equality? Here it comes, ladies. Here's your equality. No excuses, right? No, that's that's very true. But in fairness, I mean, you're also asking me to comment on, you know, their their personal experiences, what they may have been feeling or thinking. And or you going are commenting sort of on them. You are commenting on them. And your comments are an excuse from moral agency, a release from adult responsibility. Okay. All you're making is excuses. Well, I'm not intending to do that. 
I'm tending to to make excuses. For Look, them. if you're going to be defensive, I just move on to the next caller, right? Right. I don't care what you intend no, to do. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what you're doing. You can either accept what I'm saying or not, okay. but don't tell me your intentions. I'm telling you what you're doing. You're making excuses for the okay, women no. in your life, which is condescending and sexist. Okay. Okay. How did you find out that your girlfriend cheated on you? Uh, because I, I asked her after I realized that I had a health issue. I, uh, I asked her. And uh, so she, she didn't complain. she didn't even confess until you got crotch rot. Yeah. Oh, my God. So how long yeah. was it between when she slept with the guy and when you realized you had chlamydia? Uh, it was about a, a month, I think. So she slept with a guy, gave you an STD and didn't tell you, thus <clears throat> allowing the disease to work its way into your body, possibly sterilizing you. She kept it secret for a month, thus denying you the right to get tested and get medication, possibly threatening your health in a permanent way. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? That is evil. That is exactly the same as poisoning you. That is an assault upon your physical health and integrity. This is immoral, evil, manipulative, destructive, base, vile, and hateful. Are you kidding me? How could you not imagine that you can do better than this kind of abominable human being? Do you... Seriously, Mike, do you not think... Is this the best you can do? No, I I wasn't really looking at it that way. I'm telling you, this is how it is. Can you not do better than a woman who infects you with disease and hides it from you until the disease manifests itself? Yeah. Can you not? Because now you know, right? Can you not? Is this the best you can do? Can you not get a better woman than a woman who fucks another guy, gives you crotch rot, and doesn't even tell you she fucked another guy? Yeah. Is this like, is this the top of your capacity to attract a good woman? No. I don't think so. So why are you in this relationship? What what does she have to do for you to say, that's really not very good. I don't think I want to be with you. You know, we talked about it a lot. And uh, I felt as though she made a mistake. No, 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 no. Stop it. Stop making goddamn excuses. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. She fucked a guy and didn't tell you. That is not a mistake. 
That is very That's conscious yeah. behavior. Yeah. No, stop white knighting. Stop writing off and excusing women from moral responsibility. That's bullshit. And it opens you to this kind of manipulation, which could have stolen all of your children out of your bloodline. Four billion years, nature has worked its way up to you and it could have ended right with you. Because this little number fucked a guy I didn't tell you and gave you a disease. So don't give me this bullshit. She fucked a guy and she lied to you about it and threatened your health. Yeah. That's not a mistake. Look, I'm just telling you the way it is. I'm not sure who the hell is in your life that is sugarcoating all this bullshit. Does your mom know about this? Yeah. And what does your mom say? She was happy that we decided to make a go of it. So your mom knew that this woman gave you a disease that could have made you sterile, that could have harmed your body permanently by fucking another guy and hiding it from you. And your mom's like, great, keep going. Yeah, if you, if you want to distill it down to that, then yeah, that's... yeah. Well, no, don't, don't put this on me. Don't put this on me. Tell me where I'm not correct. I'm not distilling no, or I'm are. repeating back to you what you have said to me. Yeah. Well, there was it wasn't as simple as that. Like, obviously, there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk that went on. And I don't know, like, I wrestled with it, too. Like, I was I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to completely, like, end it. Ready to throw and... in the towel? How about bring her up on yeah. fucking charges? It's illegal to poison people and not tell them. Throw in the towel. Look, I'm not saying you got to call the cops. I'm trying to give you a sense of what's going on. Yeah. If you, in fact, if you knowingly put someone at risk for an STD... That's assault. Yeah. Your mom thinks this is okay? You know, a guy gives my daughter an STD when she's an adult, he's staring up his own ass in a fucking blender. Yeah. He better get on a fucking space shuttle to Mars because I'll find him. Yeah, honey, date him. He seems great. He fucked a woman, gave you an STD. I think it's wonderful. Why don't you have him move in? Are you fucking kidding me? My God. What What? What about your dad? What does uh, what he about say? Him? Oh, he sorry, died. your father died. What about yeah. your brother? Uh, my brother didn't want me to. He he told me to get over there. And what was his argument? Um, I don't necessarily recall the conversation being overly long, but I I remember the gist of it was that he didn't think he thought I should 
I should, uh, yeah, get out of the relationship. So it wasn't overly long. Was was he very busy? Um, no, just quite often. My my brother and I, we just have, we have quick chats and we get, uh, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't a long conversation. Sometimes we have our long. I mean, no, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you contracted an illness and you're thinking about, oh, you were given an illness, you were infected with an illness. And you're thinking of moving in with the woman who yeah. assaulted you by infecting you with an illness. And your brother's like, well, you know, um, some reruns of Lost are starting soon, so I'm kind of busy. I mean, no, would I, he not want to step like in and give you some sort of punch in the dick to keep you from going back to the primordial soup of your girlfriend's vagina? Well, there, there was definitely no punch in the dick, but he, he made it pretty clear that he was not happy about me going back with her. Okay, he, so he, he just said, I'm happy. not happy. And that's it. I, you know what? I, like I said, I honestly can't remember exactly. I can't remember the conversation word for word. Okay, so I think I'm, I'm pretty clear. You're not going to leave this relationship, right? Well, this is this is okay by you. This is this is what you want. This is the woman for you. Um, this is um, you've you've worked through it. You've you've talked about it, uh, and. This is you, you're fine being in a relationship where you your health is physically abused. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not okay with that. You are because she's there. I'm an empiricist. I don't care what your intentions are. I don't care what your hidden thoughts are. Yeah. I care what you do, and what you're doing is living with yeah. the woman. Yeah. Is it because she's supporting you? No, it's not because – no, it's not because of that. I know why it is. I do – you know what? I, I, I do love her, but oh, – no, 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 no. Fuck that. I'm sorry, right. man. Fuck that. You don't get to use that word. Yeah. I said this to a woman yeah. last week because she's – or a week or two ago. You don't get to use the word love for a woman who fucks another guy, infects you with an illness, and hides it from you. No, 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 no. You don't get to use that word. Because th- there's nothing in love about this. Right? Love and abuse are antonyms. Right? You may be codependent on her. You may be addicted to her. You may be um, terrified of being alone. You may be sexually infatuated with her. You may be getting the worst fucking advice from those around you that could possibly be imagined. All of that may be true, but don't tell me that this has anything to do with love. And I actually do know why you're with her. Okay. You are with her Because if you stand up for anything decent in this relationship, what's going to happen to all your other relationships? I'm thinking you're saying that they're going to corrode. If you don't put up with abuse, like what you're in now, this four-month biohazard suit you're currently entombed in, This is a symptom. This is not a cause. I'm 
with great sympathy, Mike, you have been raised to serve women. You have been raised to excuse women. You have been raised to save women. You have been raised so that you can't cause women discomfort. You can't assert your own needs in the face of what women, and maybe men too, but we're just talking about women at the moment. You have been raised to be a comfortable set of ballless water juice that gets poured into whatever women's needs are around and fills it up perfectly. You are not allowed to have your own needs. You are not allowed to oppose the will of women. You're not allowed to make them uncomfortable. You're not allowed to make them unhappy. You're not allowed to make them angry. And so when you're viciously betrayed by a woman, you have to get all kinds of sweet and reasonable. You can't say, which I would say, fucking drunken whore hit me with pretty fucking virulent bacteria and hid it from me. Or you can't say, which you could also say, I regretfully um, inform you that your services as a vaginal transmission of death-dealing bacteria are no longer needed or wanted. Mm -hmm. You can't say no to women. And so you end up with the lowest common denominator of womanhood, the lowest possible specimen of womanhood, because you can't say no. And you were trained not to say no to women and not to cause women discomfort by your mother, who's willing to shove you back into a medieval bacteria pit of patient zero horniness because you're not allowed to have needs. Now, if you have needs with this woman and if you say, oh, my God, I, like, no way, I, I can't even conceive. You're lucky I don't have your ass thrown in jail for infecting me with a disease and not telling me about the risk. And of course, I view blackout drunk as bullshit. I'm just telling you that. I don't have any proof. The beautiful thing about blackout drunk is who can tell, right? Anybody can claim blackout drunk. And I, I think it's always bullshit. I think it's just stuff that people say, particularly women, particularly after affairs. Men do it too, I'm sure. I think it's bullshit that women say so that they create this fog of non-responsibility around themselves. Well, I was drunk. Hey, man, hey, lady, if you were blackout drunk, that guy raped you. So let's go down to the cops. Let's let's press charges. Oh, I don't want to do that. Why not? If he rapes women who are drunk, he's going to go do it again. Maybe he roofied you. Maybe he's let's go get a tox screen. Let's go figure all this shit out, right? Let's go charge the guy because he raped you while you were drunk. That's terrible. Go save the sisterhood. Put this guy behind bars. Well, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Everybody is 100% responsible for what he or she does while he or she is drunk. Everybody. 100% responsible. In fact, if you drink and fuck, it's worse than not drinking and fucking. Right? It's like if you drink and drive and you get into an accident, it's a lot worse than if you just get into an accident while you're sober, right? So people say, oh, well, I was drunk. I was blackout drunk. Or this woman said it a little while back on the show, too. Like that somehow excuses it. Now it makes it worse. Yeah. It makes it much worse because if you've had any experience with alcohol before, you know how to not get blackout drunk. 
I have never in my life been blackout drunk. I've been drunk once or twice, never been blackout drunk. So yeah. it's adding insult to injury for some for a woman to say, well, I just got blackout drunk. Well, did you keep drinking? Well, that was stupid, wasn't it? Was there at some point that you knew you were getting tipsy? Of course there was. Did you keep drinking? Hey, guess what? 100% responsibility. And then people who have sex while they're drunk are like people who drive drunk. You make bad decisions when you're drunk. That's one of the reasons you don't make decisions while you're drunk. Some of those decisions involve STDs. Some of those decisions involve going home with the wrong guy or the wrong woman. Some of those decisions involve getting pregnant. That's why you don't drink and fuck. Everybody knows this. This is absolutely, completely, and totally common knowledge. And so she came to you and said, well, I was blackout drunk. And you're like, well, I guess that makes it less bad, right? I guess that makes it complicated. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah, no, I don't. It means that she fucked another guy and she's not even giving you the honesty to let you get pissed off. Because if she was truly blackout drunk, she, oh, I guess she, she woke up the next morning with the guy, right? Yeah. In which case, she should have jumped up, picked up her cell phone, and dialed 911. I don't know what happened last yeah. night, but I, somebody appears to have had sex with me while I was unconscious. Right? That's right. Yeah. And then you go get STD tested. You also go get a tox screen to find out if he roofied her or she goes and does that. Yeah. But what happens is that if you stand up for this, then it's going to be pretty complicated with your mom, right? Because if you say, holy shit, this is like the worst fucking relationship on the planet. Then you got to go sit down with your mom at some point and say, Mom, with all due respect, what the fuck? Why on earth yeah. would you tell me to stay with a woman who infected me with a dangerous illness and didn't even tell me she fucked another guy until my penis was pissing red? Yeah. And if you were to have that conversation with your mom, how do you think it would go? Yeah, I I honestly don't know what she would say. I, I didn't I didn't ask her. And you but, didn't uh, even yeah, think I, about I, her, right? I mean, she she was to married to and had children with a drunk, right? So she was married to and had children with a drunk. So what's she going to say about a drunk? Yeah, yeah, I imagine she would make excuses. Of course, just like you do for women. Yeah. Has your girlfriend ed entered a uh, – I know the answer to this, but I'm just asking for the sake of it. Has your girlfriend entered a, any kind of AA or rehab program for an alcohol problem? No. Of course not. How did I know that? Why should she? Well, of course she should because she got blackout drunk and infected her boyfriend with an STD, which means that she makes incredibly mm -hmm. bad decisions about alcohol, so she better go to a treatment program 
right? So she doesn't make horribly bad decisions about alcohol, but she hasn't done that, right? Yeah. Well, and in fairness, I drink, I drink as well. You know, I drink about as much as she does. So you ever get blackout fucked? No. Oh, well, no, I don't think so. Ever given her, ever given her an STD? No. Lied to her about infidelity? Yeah, did you ever lie to her about infidelity? No. Do you think you should drink less? Do I think that I should drink less? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I've, okay. I've cut back fairly significantly recently. And has she cut back? Um, I think she has cut back because I'm not drinking with her. So I have noticed that she is drinking less. And um, how are you feeling at the moment? Um, shook up. I don't know, like this is, I mean, it's definitely bringing back all the stuff that I kind of thought that I had sorted out, but at the same time, there there's still things that were bugging me about the whole thing. I don't know, I, I just kind of hope that uh, I have this wonderful notion in my mind of kind of walking down the, you know, the path of forgiveness and all that stuff and, you know, moving on and people make mistakes and all that sort of stuff, so... Um, it's definitely making me question my my resolve, that's for sure. What restitution has she made? That's a good question. Um, Forgiveness is not yours to will. It's other people's to earn, right? Be, be completely right. no, passive absolutely. in your forgiveness. Wait and see what other people well, we've been, elicit. Yeah, well, we've been together for about 11 months now. So, or sorry, uh, sorry, 13 months. So it's been, it's been, uh, yeah, quite some time since this has happened. And uh, we certainly had a lot of talks about it. And immediately after it happened, I, I made sure that she knew absolutely that if I even for a second felt as though she was lying to me about something that it would be over. And, uh, she's apologized profusely. And, uh, she's been working, you know, she's been working I, from what I've seen. It seems as though she's been working quite a bit. Like I'm, I'm, I like to consider myself a fairly open person. Like when I have problems, I like to talk about it and talking about stuff it helps me work through issues that I'm having and she is not really like that at all. But since this has happened, I think that she's, she's really kind of, she's committed to the relationship. If that makes any sense. So she's been working a lot harder at talking to me about stuff and, uh, just trying to keep the, the passive communication open. You know, we spend a lot of time together. Um, so she's not, she doesn't like go out and party by herself, you know, I don't know. Does that make any sense, or is that was high avoiding the question? Well, I'm not sure if it makes sense, but um, what what are the virtues or positive characteristics that this woman has that make her so desirable 
that you would be willing to continue after such a vicious and dangerous betrayal? Um, we just, we get along really well. We, we have, we, we're just, we seem really compatible. Well, no, no, see, no, 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 her virtues. Look, the fact that you're forgiving her, which I consider highly dysfunctional. One, right? So the, you, you yes. getting along with her could be because you're a pushover and she's a narcissist. I don't know. Right. So the fact that you get yeah. along, despite the fact that you're not willing to assert the basic needs you need to have a fucking force field around your balls so the bacteria don't come in and kill them. The fact that you're compliant, yeah, the fact point. that you are willing to put up with this shit could be why you're getting along. So you getting along with her is not a virtue. I'm asking about what virtues she brought to the table. What are the great things about her, independent of you getting along with her? Um, <laughs> she's very hardworking. She, uh, she's very funny. And uh, I want to say we have similar interests. I don't know if that's along the same lines of us getting along, but we both like all the same stuff. We both like fishing and hunting and camping and four by fouring and all that sort of stuff. So we, we, um, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say. I kind of, kind of lost. Well, you know that none of those are virtues, right? I mean, being hardworking yeah. is not a virtue. I mean, Hitler worked 18 hours a day, right? I'm not comparing you to Hitler because yeah. uh, Hitler never gave you an STD. But um, yeah, being hardworking is not a virtue. Being funny is not a virtue. Lots of incredibly dysfunctional and destructive people were very funny. You know, jo- Joan Rivers, uh, his husband killed himself. Her husband killed himself the next night she was out for dinner and she looked at the menu and she said, Oh my God, looking at these prices, if my husband saw this, he'd kill himself again. Uh... Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. So hardworking and funny, these are not virtues. The fact that she likes four by fouring, not a virtue. The fact she likes camping, not a virtue. I'm asking about her virtues. I mean, you know this is a philosophy show, right? And you know that my definition is uh, yeah, love is our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous. True. So what are her virtues? Yeah, and I honestly don't know. Like, I, Usually when I meet people, I don't take stock of their, their virtues, and I guess perhaps I should put a little bit more thought into that as I'm – Picking the people like I I spend my time with, I guess. But uh, you know, she's humble and diligent. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we sort of reached the end of this part of the conversation. Um, yeah. I would certainly. Uh, I'll I'll just give you my thoughts. So you certainly can have the last word. Um, Mike, this. My prediction is that this relationship is going to get worse and worse uh, over time. And um, she may very well, if she's not gone into therapy uh, or not gone into any kind of substance addiction program or not, you know, dove straight into 
hot pursuit of self-knowledge after making such a catastrophic and destructive mistake. Uh, sorry, after making such catastrophic and destructive decisions. Sorry, <laughs> female yeah. disempowerment can be contagious. Um, but um, I think that you are scared to assert values. I think that's going to threaten all of your relationships. I don't think that your family should stand idly by while you're betrayed and infected by uh, the destructive choices a woman is making. And uh, I think that you're not surrounded by people who are looking out for your best interests. Um, I almost don't need to ask the virtues of your mother because I think I can uh, pretty much work it out from here. Um, I also think, in my humble opinion, that you're not quite ready to see the big picture of what love is, of what security is, of what virtue is. And um, I think that if you're not going to listen to sort of my reasoning or my exhortations, then you're going to have to listen to experience. And I think that uh, the experience is going to get progressively more bitter until you realize that the costs of not having and enforcing values on those around you will be extraordinarily high. This is the kind of woman, in my opinion, who can um, who can just decide, oops, I'm pregnant. Yeah. And then, uh, welcome to 20 years of half your income out the window. Yeah. And um, uh, you are, um, wh where people have irresponsibility in matters of sexuality and honesty and openness, you are messing with extremely dangerous stuff. Um, and uh, I would double bag condom use until you resolve this relationship or better yet, don't have sex at all. Uh, because I think that uh, you are uh, in in very dangerous waters, Mike. I think that you uh, are, don't have people around you who are giving you decent advice. But I think that uh, the idea that you would um, stand up for real virtues and values in your relationships is something that's not – you don't even know how missing it is in your personal equations. And uh, that's a lot of journey to go in sort of one phone call. But um, – I think that you're in very dangerous waters and I think that you are in a relationship that is going to turn out to be destructive. I'm not a crystal baller, uh, but uh, um, th those are my thoughts. I'm certainly happy to willing, willing and ha happy to give you the last word though. Yeah, no, I'm not, certainly not going to refute anything you said, but uh, I guess it's just kind of left me with, with more questions and answers in terms of um, how I enforce those uh virtues i guess within my relationships like um no no sorry that's and i don't mean to be confusing about that yeah um if if a restaurant serves you a shit sandwich how do you enforce your preferences by pushing it away yeah you just walk out yeah right you, you don't enforce your preferences like you are now going to make this restaurant serve better food i mean who's got time for that <laughs> lots of bad restaurants in the world i'm sure yeah no, that, that makes sense. And I mean, in this situation, I guess it's, I guess you can say it's a lot more cut and dry, but like, you know, with interpersonal relationships with other people, like there's kind of, there's kind of a gray area. Is there not like, like, do you try to, you know, find people who are like the, the epitome of virtue, you know, like, no, 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 dude, dude. First of all, you have no emotional connection with any of this at all, which is why you're in such danger. 
you've expressed zero anger at having been infected with an STD, a dangerous STD, yeah, and having it untreated because your girlfriend hid her infidelity from you. Yeah. You have expressed zero anger at that. And so because you don't have any emotional connection to what's going on to you, you jump straight into abstractions. And then in abstractions, you confuse yourself. Yeah. Right? So then you say, oh, does somebody have to be perfectly virtuous? Like, that's just yeah, you that's, fucking yourself up. That's just you confusing yourself and spinning yourself around until you don't know which way is up and saying, well, I guess these questions are very confusing now, aren't they? They're really not. They're really not. Let me ask you something. Imagine you have a daughter. Yeah. The daughter is dating a guy. The guy fucks another woman, has sex with your daughter, and makes her sterile. Yeah. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I'd be enraged. I'd be absolutely livid. Right. Yeah. You don't sound it, but I believe you know the words. All right. So how is it any different for you? Well, if you think that I'm not angry, I mean, you're, you're mistaken. Like, I'm not going to yell and you, swear. Yeah, no, because all you've done is make excuses and minimize. So, yes, empirically... You're really not as angry as you should be, or you probably are deep down. It just means that your anger threatens female interests. A man's anger that threatens female interests is like the Satan of the modern world. For men to have needs that are inconvenient to women, holy crap. You know, I mean, <laughs> went to a conference in Detroit, speak about some men's issues. Conference had to be moved. Yeah. Women were sending in bomb threats, death threats. Was my wife happy about me going? Not hugely. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Emma Watson just did a speech at the UN where she says, you know, for some mysterious reason, men don't feel comfortable expressing themselves. Yeah. Well, how about feminists stop sending bomb threats to men getting together to express themselves? That might help. Feminism with or maybe, you know, maybe a bunch of feminists could, could say that that's really bad and could organize a campaign to really remind men that these are crazy, evil women, uh, nothing to do with feminism, instead of everyone pretending like nothing happened. Yeah. Why aren't you men more comfortable expressing your feelings? Hey, express your feelings. I'll cut you. Okay. <laughs> MGTOW for the win. But um, you have feelings that are inconvenient to women. And so you feel very scared to express them, I would imagine. And there's a reason why I made it your daughter who got infected and sterile. Yeah. Not your son, right? Yeah. Because you then, in thinking of your daughter getting sexually infected and sterilized against her will without her knowledge, that would rouse your protective instincts towards women, right? Right. So why not you? 
why are your balls any less valuable than her ovaries? They're not. My balls are incredibly important to me. So I just all right. It's just that I, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced the anger. I, I was, when it happened, I was extremely angry. And I, I don't know if maybe just the anger has, has faded or whether, you know, talking about it made me feel better. Like, I'm not sure if I should still be feeling angry about this or if, I mean, so like, obviously you seem like you obviously think there's no way to move forward with this. That's, I think you've, you've made that pretty clear, I guess. If you were angry, I wouldn't be. Yeah. Right. So I know the lack of the lack of anger that you have is shows up in how you brought up the entire topic. Yeah. Like, well, you know, this happened. You know, it's fine. Um, blah 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 blah. But this isn't my issue, right? I want to talk about entrepreneurship. Well. I knew that it was going to go in this direction and like I, I figured the, the way it was going to go was talking, you know, about my experiences as a, as a kid with my parents and how that's affected me in terms of, you know, procrastinating with work and, uh, and things of that nature. I, I didn't think that we would necessarily spend this much time on this topic, but uh, it, it makes sense that we have. Okay. Well, um, I guess I've given you my thoughts. Uh, my particular opinion is that this is going to make get a lot worse before um, you wake up to what's around you, and I'm sorry for that. You certainly have been very helpful, I think, in serving as a warning to others, uh, and uh, I certainly wish you the best. When the scales do fall from your eyes, uh, please feel free to give us a call. Uh, we'll certainly be happy to help you at that point, but uh, I think that uh, the white horse is a long drop for a lot of men. Don't want to get off that saddle and uh, tough to put down that lance and tough to stop riding off to uh, to save women from the consequences of their own choices. So um, when that does, if and when that does happen for you, we'll certainly be here for you. But I certainly wish you the best moving forward. All right. Well, thanks for your time. All right. All right. Up next is Max. Max. What? Nothing. Nothing you want to add to that there, Mike? After I see you doing pirouettes of outrage inside of the studio. I will just say that if someone I cared about was in that situation, you'd have to pry me off their pant leg with a crowbar to prevent them from going back into it and just continuing as if nothing had happened. I think we'd be rolling up with a windowless van and a bag full of chloroform, uh, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'd find something with They'd a big enough trunk. In a different or... state and, yeah, yeah we'd, we'd sort of, uh, um, you know, in, in um, train spotting, the, the, the drug addict's parents chain him to a bed until he gets over his uh, addiction. So this would be basically uh, chain this, not to a bed, because that would probably bring back memories, but uh, get him out of the proximity of the battle-scarred pussy channel and, <laughs> until he uh, sees reason and then uh, and maybe let him go. But anyway, all right. All right, up next is Max. And Max wrote in and said, what is the point of making the world a better place if you're going to die anyway? Hi, can you guys hear me? Yeah, I mean, if you die anyway, why why do you even care about the question? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, now listen, I asked the question because um, I often feel like uh, 
like actually improving the world. I thought a lot about what the problem is and what the solution might be. And I, I realized that your FDR movement is pretty much the best thing we have out there. You know, I want to give credit where credit is due. You are the single greatest force of good right now in the world. Uh, you know, we had Bob Marley and then you came along. <laughs> and then finally, a guy with some rhythm. <laughs> yeah well that's very kind I, I i mean that's very high praise i certainly hope that we're doing a lot of good uh it's not really a movement just a show or a conversation but um so you're tempted to to go out and do good in the world and then what yeah and then um and then these days come along where you're just uh like fuck them you know oh sorry for the language by the way uh um, right. it's middle of the night uh yeah, you're like, uh, the, there's so many bad people around you. Um, the world is filled with bad people. History is a horror show of bad people making the world terrible. I mean, uh, why haven't good people stood up in the past and, and, and dealt with this for us, you know? Uh, it's like wait, humanity so, doesn't know it. <laughs> wait, wait, hang on. So are you saying to me that you wish people in the past had done a lot or done more work to make the world a better place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so wouldn't you be one of the people in the past to future people that they wish had done more to rid the world of evildoers? Yeah, would be. So isn't that your answer? So, um, no, I, I don't seem to follow their uh, stuff. So basically, um, if... Okay, well, I'll break it down for you. So um, in the year 1900, if more people had done work for virtue, right, if they had said, you know, let's not spank, uh, let's get rid of these terrible public schools that are priming people to go into the First World War, uh, let's be peaceful and reasonable with our children and set appropriate limits in, in negotiation and so on. So if people in 1900 had done a lot of good work, then the 20th century could have been entirely different, right? Yes. So now in 2114, there'll be people looking back and they'll be uh, saying, um, let's say, that, gee, I wish Max had uh, done more good in, in his day so that we'd be better off. So you look back at the people in 1900 years ago, 1914, I guess, and you say, I wish they'd done more good, but the same thing's going to be true of people 100 years from now. They're going to look back and say, I wish you'd done more good. So yeah. wouldn't, right? Yeah, yeah, but what do they care? I mean, they're dead anyway. What do they care what I wish they would have done? You mean the dead people? Yeah. Uh, look, you don't have to explain to me the dead people don't have feelings, so I'm not really sure what your what your issue is. No, I don't know, and, and I don't want to have a debate about this, of course, because we don't disagree here. No, um, what I'm saying is I have a lack of uh, motivation in, in doing uh, the right thing in the world. Um, far more tempted to be like everybody else and chase after, uh, you know, your own self-interest. Uh, but I guess my self-interest kind of is improving the world, uh, if you put it this way. Would you agree? Your self-interest is improving the world? Yeah. I, I don't know that that necessarily follows. Improving the world can be a nasty and ugly and difficult and dangerous business, right? Yes, so why do you Because do when it? you improve the world, you, you threaten the entrenched interests of evil people. Yeah. You know, whether they're abusive priests or abusive parents or governments, uh, you, in, you harm the interests of entrenched evil groups, and, um, and that can be a difficult, dirty, and dangerous business, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it sure can be. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know about self-interest as far as that goes. I like the fight. I do. I, I like the fight. I I consider it exciting. I consider it thrilling. I consider it essential. I consider it honorable. It gives me just and justified moral pride. It gives me a sense of rootedness and of moving through the world with purpose, with beams of light coming off my forehead like a disco ball, chasing the shadows of lies and inconsequentiality off into the far reaches of interstellar nothingness where they goddamn well belong. I like it, baby. It gets me up in the morning with a song in my heart and a spring in my step. It thrills my spine and uh, swells my balls, in fact, although I need to get that looked at. But um, it, is a, it is an enjoyable and exciting fight for me. It stimulates and tests all of the strength and metal that is in my personality, which is quite considerable. Uh, it is the biggest and most challenging burden that the world currently faces, which is the better protection of children and the revealing of the depth and extent of evil doing in the world. It is a massive challenge. It is uh, like Gandalf in front of the Balrog, but with not a staff, but a microphone, <laughs> driving it back with the bad karaoke of wonky jokes. So uh, it is something that is in my self-interest. Uh, I wish to be looked upon by virtuous people as heroic. And I wish to look upon myself as heroic. Uh, I am heroic. And uh, I'm certainly not the only hero and maybe not even the most important and certainly not the best. But as far as my capacity, skills and talents can take me, I'm extending just about every moral muscle that I can to beat back the darkness of the world, which is, I think, essential because I have a child and because I do care about the people who come after me. Uh, we are a part of the great chain of being. We do leave the world to the future and inherit it from the past. And that which I borrow, I do not destroy. That which I rent, I do not trash. And uh, I am borrowing the world from the future just as I am lent to it from the past. There is a great chain of being, I believe, that exists whether or not we have children. Because you can have far more powerful and effective children than mere biological specimens. I mean, the children of Kant, the children of Ayn Rand, the children of Socrates, of Aristotle, of Plato, of Schopenhauer, of Nietzsche, of Hegel, of you name it, Marx, they breed memes which change the world. And there is, I think, a responsibility for those with the capacity to heal the world, to heal the world. Don't have to. You can play video games all day. You're just kind of a dick if you do, right? If you're a doctor, people are dropping dead around you and you've got a bunch of pills that make them well. And you say, ah, you know, it's a good movie on. I think I'll go watch a movie. Then I'll play some video games. Then I'll, I don't know, check in on the fappening number 67 or whatever's going on. And, and then people are dropping dead and clawing at your windows and begging for the medicine and some hating you for the medicine. The undertakers hate when you give the dying people medicine. So you don't have to help the sick if you have a pill that cures them. It's kind of dickish not to. And if you have the capacity to make the world a better place, you don't have to. You're not an evil person for not doing it. 
can't throw a doctor in jail for not going to help the sick. But if you can, I think you kind of should. And if you're born with capacities, there is just a kind of responsibility in that. Because not everyone is born with those capacities. Not everyone is born with my language skills or your particular skills, whatever you bring to the table in this. You're just, you're just not. Now, if you're born with a great singing voice, you don't have to be a singer. Lots of singers in the world. But if you're born with the power, passion, commitment, and desire to create and bring to light the fire of virtue, have it reach to the sky and draw everyone around for its warmth to, to light their branches and take it out, I guess this ends up with the whole world in flames. So maybe it's not the best metaphor. Some people just want to watch the world burn. But um, if you can light other people's candle with your candle, it sure as hell doesn't diminish yours. The world ends up a brighter place and the shadows beyond the firelight get pushed further back. So if you can do it, then do it. Now, I mean, if it's horrible and hateful and fearful and terrifying and, you know, then don't. But part of being a good doctor is also to some degree having the desire to do it, right? You could be a great doctor, but faint at the sight of blood and hate illness of any kind, right? In which case, well, you're not going to be a doctor, right? But this idea that it has something to do with, well, but then I'll be dead, right? I mean, the idea that, that life shrinks to meaningless if you take a big enough view is to me completely the wrong way to look at it and completely backwards. Look, let's say, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I think the sun's been burning for 10 billion years. It's got another 10 billion to go. But there was, as far as ethics go, nothing until a couple of thousand years ago. Nothing. There's no ethics in lower nature, no ethics. I mean, there's some reciprocal altruism and among the apes, and there's obviously care for the young and so on, but we don't say that the kids, the, 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 the species that follow the strategy of tons of eggs and no parental care are evil, but this, the, the animals that follow the strategy of fewer children but lots of parental investment are virtuous. It's just two different survival strategies with a slider in between or reproductive strategies. So ethics, which is meaning, which is the possibility of virtue in the universe, as far as we know, from like, what, 13 or 14 billion years ago until 2,500 years ago or so, there was nothing, nothing of any particular value or virtue. There were no values. There are no values until there are virtues, or at least money. <laughs> and money requires uh, some element of property rights and other kinds of virtues. And so... It's not like our life is meaningless because we have access to virtue. No, the universe was meaningless until there was virtue. And in a brief slice, a tiny, tiny little sliver of the universe's history, the universe has had a point and a purpose. The universe has had values and virtues and good and evil and right and wrong and all of the high drama and excitement of propelling the spread of virtue in the world. Before that, who gives a shit? It wasn't like, it's not like the infinity of the universe makes us insignificant. No, no, no. Everything but us is insignificant. Because without people and without philosophy, there are no virtues and no values. And everything is meaningless. 
A frog has its babies. Some of those babies are eaten. A turtle lays its eggs. Some of those eggs are eaten. What's the meaning? There is no meaning to any of that. It's just DNA trying to photocopy itself, right? I mean, the shell of the tortoise egg wants to make another shell of a tortoise egg. So I mean, that's all it, all it is. Absolutely meaningless. And we compare ourselves to the infinity of time and feel meaningless. But prior to consciousness, philosophy, and virtue, time didn't even exist. Certainly prior to consciousness, time didn't exist as a concept. There was fundamentally no time. Can't go up to a trilobite or a protozoa and say, hey, what time is it? They don't know. There's no such thing as time until human consciousness comes along. Of course, time happened and things happened in sequence. There was no concept of time. So if you think that the fact that you're going to end makes the pursuit of virtue meaningless, it's entirely backwards. It's only because you're alive that the universe has any purpose and meaning whatsoever. And that purpose and meaning comes down to your choice about whether to join the fight to spread virtue or let the evildoers take over and make the world a hell, not just for us, but for other species as well. It is only your choice that determines the value that exists within the universe and the virtues that exist within the universe. So we cut that flame and we blow on that flame and we feed that flame its fuel and we try to grow it. Everything else is meaninglessness. Wow. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Steph. That was that was beautiful. Actually, puts it into a far better perspective now. I uh, never thought of it that way. Actually, having virtue adds value, creates the value in the universe, and without virtue, there is no value. So the more the whole you... point of the universe, the whole point of the universe is this little third planet from this little tiny yellow sun on this little arm of the galaxy. 100 billion stars in the galaxy, 100 billion galaxies around. The whole. Let's say we're the only, I don't think it's true, but let's say we're the only consciousness that ever walks this universe. The whole point of the whole goddamn thing has been this and us. We are not meaningless relative to the universe. The universe only has meaning because we're here. A star burning has no moral choice, no consciousness, no right or wrong, no fight to make things better, no choice to use words instead of fists, no choice to stay your hand and reason, no choice to stand up against evil or reject evil. The star is a giant burning nuclear fart that comes and goes. It has as much consciousness as a forest fire. That does not shrink our meaningless into nothing. It means that the whole point of everything has been us. Not that it was planned or conscious or anything, but meaning only exists because we're here and we have this choice and we have these ethics. So revel in it and enjoy it. We don't fade into insignificance because the universe is so vast. We are the culmination and sole explosion of meaning in the universe. Everything else is meaningless, not us. Yeah, 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 I, uh, I get it. Yeah, but, um, uh, I mean, Steph, I'm sorry, but, um, I, I get it and, and I feel far more motivated now because this is the very meaning of, of basically, it could be the giving meaning to my own life now. But, uh, it's, 
I've just, um, I, I kind of feel too insignificant for it. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that, look, it's evil people who tell you that you're insignificant. Of course, especially if you're motivated for virtue. Yeah. I mean, if Apple, I mean, Steve Jobs could could have convinced Bill Gates he was insignificant and worthless and useless. Apple would be even bigger. I don't know. I'm just right. But of course, of course, people who are evil want to compare you or have you compare yourself to the infinite reaches of empty darkness that so terrified Pascal in the Pensees. Evil people want you to feel tiny so they can rule. It's a lot easier to rule ants than people, right? So there are evil people in your vicinity and in your environment who profit from you feeling insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I kind of think that there might be, actually. Who are they? Yeah, oh, my parents definitely were. But uh, they'd never, definitely never give me credit for doing any any of the stuff I'm doing now. And and then my friends around me, so-called friends, don't uh, don't recognize it neither. Matter of right. fact, uh, so yeah, they want yeah. you they they want you to feel insignificant, so you don't get anything done, and thus make their insignificance a choice rather than an inevitability, right? Because. To make you feel cynical towards your own virtues is the elemental task of immoral people, right? So, I mean, I get called naive, optimistic, arrogant, deluded, narcissistic, psychopathic, sociable, you name it, right? Utopian. Utopian, whatever, right? A dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And people all do that because they wish for me to observe my own virtues in a cynical manner oh look at him striving like the fish in the bottom of a boat to get back to the ocean it's so cute the way he struggles to try and make the world a better place as if he didn't know the vastness of the interstellar spaces and the time slices of the universe that make us vanish into insignificance as if he didn't know that human nature is evil as if he didn't know that we'll always have a government as if he didn't know I and they're trying to get me to sort of jump out of myself and look at myself as ridiculous right from the inside I am a hero from the outside I am a clown. Yeah. <laughs> they want to jump me outside of myself and have me regard myself as foolish. Because yeah, what if I'm not? Yeah, because what if I'm not? What if I'm not foolish? What if I'm brave? What if I'm not naive? What if I'm right? If I'm right, what are the consequences to my detractors? Right? What happens if I'm right? What happens if through the peaceful treatment of children and through UPB and through the non-aggression principle and through all of the commitments that people have to make the world a better place through the embrace embracing of the virtues and the rejection of the evildoers. What if that does make the world about as perfect as the world can be? Then all my detractors were just assholes in the way. Miletus, the guy who brought Socrates up on charges probably thought he was pretty heroic, right? And now, what do people think of Miletus or Malatus? 
they think, what a fucking asshole made a great man drink poison. Yeah. Socrates won that round. Assholes win other rounds. Yeah. The Jewish community, I think in the Netherlands, uh, with Spinoza. Spinoza was skeptical about the existence of God. And he actually died because he'd inhaled so much ground glass from grinding lenses, which is a great job for a philosopher, right? To grind lenses so people can see more clearly. And the Jewish community in his vicinity commanded everyone to ostracize him. Don't touch him. Don't talk to him. Don't do business with him. Don't associate with him. Don't eat with him. Don't drink with him. Don't invite him over. Don't have, right? And now Spinoza is taught and read and absorbed in universities. And the Jews of the time were just assholes in the way. Spinoza won that round, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> and yes. so there is there's a fundamental war. There's a, I'm telling people, I keep telling this over and over again, you are at war with your friends and you don't even know it yet. You are at war with the smallness of the petty who wish to hold you down so they don't even feel short, right? Yeah. And you are at war. You are at war with the people who mock you for that which is best within you, who deride and insult you for your highest aspirations and most virtuous goals. You are at fucking war with these people. Whether humanity is heroic or petty, whether we can reason or whether we must use force, whether we can negotiate or whether we have prisons, whether we hit our children or whether we reason with our children. This is a war. And it's hard to see only because we give in. It's what I was saying to the last guy. It's not a virtue to get along with someone if you have no needs and just kind of conform to their expectations. It's not a virtue. You know, anyone can join the Nazi party if they say they hate Jews. <laughs> Hey, look, I get along well with the Nazis. That's not good. And there is a war. And the war is not fought intellectually, fundamentally. This is why we talk so much about feelings in this conversation. The war is fought from the heart. It doesn't mean irrationally, because the heart is not an organ of irrationality. Ondaatje says the heart is an organ of fire. Pascal says the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. Bullshit. The heart knows the war. Which is why the heart says, if you unsheath this sword, you will see about a thousand swords unsheathed in front of you, pointed at you. The heart knows of this war. Which is why we pretend there is no war. Why we pretend that we can hang with evildoers and people who put us down and people who mock and attack us for that which is best within us. And the endless propaganda of the media and the movies and the TV shows, which tell you, tell you that courage is fighting giant robots and space aliens that, that drop acid when cut or shot. 
Yeah, it's always killing. And it's always violence against a fantasy. Sauron. <laughs> right? That, that they divert your moral courage into fantastical impossibilities to make sure you never do that which is actually morally courageous, has the greatest effect and provokes the greatest opposition, which is to speak truth and shatter the true tyranny of this world, which is the tyranny of silence which is the tyranny of smallness, which is the tyranny of everybody being on their guard against a moral agent coming along and then doing everything they can to fuck up that moral agent so they don't have to feel immoral. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you'll be dead or that people a hundred years ago were dead or people a hundred years from now aren't even born. That is all, with all due respect, Max, elegant bullshit. What matters is that if you act and live virtue in the real world, you will make approximately 5.999 billion enemies, right? Yeah. After 2,300 years of philosophy, 3% of Southerners supported freeing the slaves in 1850, which meant... You take out one sword, there are 33 swords against you after 2,300 years of moral philosophy. How many people are anarchists? How many people are into peaceful parenting? And I don't mean unparenting. I don't mean unparenting where you don't, there are no consequences for your children and everyone's buddy buddy and you never say no and you never confront and you never have your own needs. That to me is bullshit. Total bullshit. How many people are strong atheists, anarchists, into peaceful parenting with rational consequences, into negotiation with your own needs, rather than this self-erasing, unparenting stuff? Probably one person in 100,000. Grow the show. <laughs> the show grows the minds, and then the show grows. You don't want to take out this sword. And then you're saying, well, you know, but what's the point? I'll be dead one day, right? But it's nothing to do with that. It's because you're afraid of seeing how many swords come out in Echo, right? Yeah, and how many swords are in my direct vicinity? How many swords Well, how many are, are pointed at you and how many people are behind you saying, hey, let's take them on, man, right? Not many. Ah, I tell you, you're lucky if you get one or two. Yeah. Yeah, well, luckily FDR has brought me a few. Yeah, the good news is we don't actually need that many because we're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Steph. You're very welcome. I appreciate that. Let us know how it goes. I will. I've actually got a... Um, I've been asked to give uh, an economics lecture and I'm going to uh, talk about uh, how liberty uh, improves the world. It's going to be my first public appearance trying to, um, well, we're going to talk from effect, but I'm also going to try to put in some uh, moral stance there. So it's going to be my first battle against evil.
Good for you, man. Good for you. Send us a link if you can. We'll do what we can to spread it. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. And uh, have a nice birthday, even though it's not your birthday here anymore because we're uh, a few hours ahead. But have a nice. Oh my birthday. God! I thought I sounded older while I was talking to you. Yeah, yeah, you're a day hey, older. What? Here. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have Bluetooth. I got a Bluetooth. Anyway, that can't be good. All right, who's up next? All right, thanks, Max. Uh, up next is Nathan. And Nathan wrote in and said, If international law would honor an individual or group's rights to live by their own rules, would it then follow by definition that international law accepts states of anarchy? And I also want to say, before we get to the question, congratulations to Nathan. Birth of a child, days ago. Just got to say that as well. Well, yeah. Happy new dadness. Nathan. Are you with us, Nathan? Can you guys hear me? Now I oh, can. There you go. Okay, that's better. Let me, uh, I guess my headphones don't work. There we go. Hello. Hello. Is that too loud? We didn't get Bob, right? No. <laughs> okay. Nathan. So, uh, Nate, first of all, congratulations um, on the birth of your child. It's a very exciting time. You sound about as alert and energetic as most new fathers and mothers do. So, uh, grit your teeth. Uh, it gets better. Um, I'm not going to tell you when it gets better. Um, <laughs> probably not information you want to uh, um, want to have right now. So um, is, let me sort of make sure I understand your question. So international law recognizes a person's or a group's ability to live by their own rules. Is that right? And therefore they should recognize an anarchic state or an anarchic society? Well, okay. So I was coming from the definition of anarchy and maybe I, I – and I apologize if the if for the vagueness or uh, maybe – I didn't, maybe I didn't put the question together well, um, but anarchy is, is no rulers, correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, so there is, um, such a thing as the right of self-determination. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's acknowledged and recognized internationally, um, so if if that's acknowledged and recognized that that a a a group of people can um self-determine into whatever status they want um and it's just up to them to do, to be determined enough to do that um doesn't that kind of make everything um non-rulerish <laughs> I mean like if you want to Make a government and call yourself a ruler. That's that's fine, but there's also a million other possibilities of forming a a, a society that doesn't uh, involve rulership. And and I think in essence, I mean, even if we find at present today that you know we're in a situation where we you know we have leaders over us or politicians over us. If we don't like the rules of that house, we can get out and make our own way or expatriate or find another better uh, situation. So, right. 
Yeah, I, I think that it would follow that from a technical standpoint, uh, if um, groups can choose to live by their own rules, then they can have DROs or the voluntary associations to resolve disputes and so on. So uh, if there's a group there that doesn't have a centralized state, but instead relies on voluntary market-driven organizations for the dispensation of justice and conflict resolution, uh, I think international law would have to accept that. I mean doesn't really matter because they're just words on a page, but technically that is the recipe for summoning a state elemental already. Right? Right? I mean, it doesn't mean you're actually going to get a state elemental. It just means that's the recipe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem that I have is I, I mean, I, I know that there's some micronations out there. Um, there, there's uh there's lots of situations that, that this does seem to be honored or acknowledged. Um, it's a, uh, why does so many people focus on, you know, ending all governments when I know it's, I know it's, and this is where it's probably going to rub you the wrong way, but, but make your own government, you know, why not make your own government, uh, even down to the, the, the scale of your individual self status. And then, you know, you know, keep working on ways and get more people in on that. Um, through networking and everything to make that more pronounced in, in whatever society you find yourself in. Does that make sense or is that too? No, no, I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you try and influence people to towards freedom horizontally rather than vertically. I don't think that's going to rub me the wrong way. Okay. And remember with, with enough baby oil, there's just no way to rub <laughs> me the wrong way. I just wanted to mention that as well for those who are curious about that. But, um, yeah, I think I think uh, I think we're in agreement that you work to try and spread freedom as much as possible um, horizontally, rather than try and control it vertically. When you say horizontally, you mean? Uh, I'm sorry. What do you mean by? That? Oh, I just mean not you know not trying to jump into political action and grab the the Death Star and try and turn it into a uh, um, some sort of Genesis machine. Um, it's only got lasers that blow things up, so you ain't going to be able to make a new Eden. But uh, just work, you know, horizontally with the people in your life to try and spread as much reason, peace, and evidence as you can. Okay. Well, I I I, I listened to I can't remember which uh, podcast it was, what number, but it was. Concerned. Can't remember which I, I, Israel and God, Palestine. man, there's only three thousand. Narrow it down a bit. You were talking Sorry, about Israel and Palestine, and um, because I thought that that was that was kind of like a sore thumb as far as the right of self-determination. I, I even heard Obama talk about Palestine's right to self-determine and that should be honored and whatnot. Um, yeah. yeah, so the best way to honor Palestine's right to self-determine is to dump billions of dollars worth of weaponry into the hands of their oppressors. I think that's a – self-determination, like just in terms of, of politics right, rather than philosophy, uh, self-determination is uh, simply a way of uh, – uh, claiming that people uh, ought to obey their oppressors, right? Because you're self-determined if you get to vote for highly bought out, highly partisan and highly conflict of interest ridden people uh, who rule over you for the benefit of corporations, uh, the military industrial complex, uh, welfare, public sector unions, old age pensions, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, you name it. People who are basically just uh, using the state to steal as much as humanly possible, like a coke duck Indiana Jones sprinting through an Aztec temple full of gold dust and be snorting that shit and coughing it up later so that he can make some money. 
in that environment, it's supposed to give you some sense that you're ruling yourself when a bunch of power adult money printing sociopaths rule over you. It's called self-determination if you get to choose which money and drug powered uh, sociopath gets to rule over you. Uh, choose your beater uh, is not the same as walking out of a room bruise free, but it's called self-determination. Hey, ladies, you can pick from child abuser. Uh, sorry, you can pick from wife abuser number one, wife abuser number two, or wife abuser number three. I am also a wife abuser, and I like wife abusers, so I'm going to help you with that choice. And ladies, that's called the right of choosing your marriage partner. <laughs> it's called the right of self-determination in marriage. It's like, I'm sorry, do I have the choice to not get married or choose someone who's not an abuser? You do not, <laughs> because that really would be self-determination. We can't have any of that. I'm going to pretend that you choosing your abuser is self-determination so that you then feel morally responsible for the abuse you receive. It's fundamental to abuse that you blame yourself for the abuse that you receive. So self-determination is a great way of turning you into a real victim, the most Tragic victims are those who blame themselves for their abuse. So I'm going to put in this voting mechanism, this thing called self-determination, so that you will blame yourself for the resulting abuse of having to choose between three varieties or two varieties of sociopathic monsters. That way, when you blame yourself, you won't question the system because you'll be too busy punching yourself to look up and clear your eyes of blood. Well, I think that those are all um, examples of of – obsolete and dead ways um that uh that are that are on the way out i mean because of your work and others work with critical thinking and um you know i listen to podcasts all day i i definitely can say that there's definitely some progress being made to to where i mean that's almost like saying well that's not going to work because you know you know you're you're referencing the ways of the world that that have you know and it's it's important to to know your history and and to base it off of that but uh, but also you know hey nate what can i ask you a question yeah how much sleep have you had over the last week uh not too much i actually threw my my neck out <laughs> yesterday morning so nate can i make a suggestion what man can you get some sleep and call back? All right. Listen, you're welcome back. You sound like a perfectly nice guy, but I remember the new dad world. It's not. It's not like just the moment the baby after the baby's born, you don't get much sleep. But there's a lot of preparation, and you know you're basically sleeping with half a beached whale with a heart, two heartbeats. So uh, it's not the most relaxing thing. Get some sleep, get some rest, and call back in. All right. All right. Sorry, Stefan. When you listen back to this, you'll understand why. I'm sure. So uh, let's do one more call because uh, I also am a guy who only got four hours sleep last night. So um, uh, just let's do one last call. Hopefully it's not too long. Uh, otherwise, I'll just faint halfway through and pretend that it's over. All right. Up next is Scott. Scott wrote in and said, I'm committed to a non-manipulative, non-violent method to raising my three daughters. I've done a lot of work to deal with my emotional unavailability that has improved my relationship a lot with my kids. I do not hit my kids and generally try the preparation method of parenting. There are many times, however, when I raise my voice or yell at them, and the yelling slash voice raising has a kind of urgent quality to it, similar to calling after a kid going into the street. How do I stop this yelling or otherwise speaking harshly to my children? 
How old are they? Oh, sorry. No, no I, problem. How old are they? I have uh, a pair of twins who are um, uh, two years old, and uh, and I have a eleven uh, year old. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I have two generations in my family. So. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Um, I guess the causality of that decision matrix is not hugely important since they're kind of here, but. Uh, uh, um, uh, my wife and I just tried having kids the second time and just didn't happen for a long time. So, right. Okay. And so, uh, all right. So is it mostly the two year olds that you're yelling at or the 11 year old? Um, the 11 year old has grown up in a different generation of my parenting. She, uh, I never have hit my, my kids or anything like that, but, uh, I was not as self-aware in her life. So yeah, I, I have yelled at her throughout, um, throughout her childhood. Not, um, not very often, but, uh, I would just become impatient when, you know, when I asked her to do something and she didn't do it or something, uh, well, but no, you see impatient and yelling are not the same thing. Every human being gets impatient, right? That's, kind of an involuntary and some of it's justified and some of it's not right right like i was in a, a mild rush to get somewhere today and you know whenever you're in a hurry you're in yeah a challenging time as a parent right when your kids especially when they're young because kids you know trying to get kids to hurry is like trying to push a giant stinging jellyfish through jello yeah like it's motion sickness help me get to the car i can't move my son going down lost will to live Right. So that happens pretty regularly. Um, and I, you know, I have one and I can imagine three. It's even more exciting. And, uh, just one more thing. And then, you know, the, I had to ask my daughter three times to get out of the car today. You know, <laughs> can you please just get yeah. out of the car? Please get out of the car. Yeah. Come on. Don't make me release a snake in the car. Oh, actually, she'd think that would be really cool. She loves snakes. Yeah. I don't know. What was she? Uh, I don't know. A too advanced Bob book would probably get her out of the car. I don't know. But uh, um, but you, I mean, you know, like whenever you're in any kind of hurry that it's just complete doom yeah. with, with, with parenting, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, one of the things that my wife and I made a mistake with her was that we were always trying to surprise her because we were trying to avoid the conflict beforehand and i think that's where it always fell apart is just always trying to you know throw things on her and like contrary to what people believe kids do not like surprises at all no i mean if the surprises involve like dessert trays and light up (laughs) balloons then they do but if these surprises are like hey we're visiting grandma who smells like uh, mothballs and has whiskers growing out of her face that poke you in the eye when she kisses your forehead no, not a good surprise, right? So, um, yeah, so I, I get that. So <clears throat> conflict avoidance, as you know, is conflict provocation. Whatever conflicts you avi- avoid, you're just feeding so that they're stronger when you finally have to meet them, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think 
I've uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, talking to my daughter and asking her about how she how she how it made her feel when I yelled at her because I I notice a lot more now now I'm I'm really kind of awakening to you know to uh, you know what's going on inside me I, I'm able to you know kind of s- step outside a little bit more and look at how I'm behaving around my kids a little bit more and observe that behavior and, you know, and, 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 uh, criticize it, you know, hopefully constructively. And, uh, I've asked her, you know, like how did it make her feel when I would yell at her or raise my voice at her or, you know, speak harshly in some other way, you know, and she told me that it made her feel terrible. It made her feel, you know, like she, I just, I, I really feel bad about that. I feel terrible that she ever felt bad about herself because of me or something that I said to her. Right. Now, do you know that you were probably yelling at yourself inside before you yelled at your daughter? Yeah. Right. It happens in in almost all emotionally eruptive states are a mere effect of the internally eruptive state, right? Yeah, I'm, the first time I really experienced that, um, finally figuring that out. I mean, I'm, I mean, you can probably tell I'm an older guy now. You know, I'm, in fact, you are the age of my oldest sister. So like, <laughs> I'm almost in your same generation, you know, and, uh, so you're an older guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm an even still older guy. Way older after Happy today. birthday, Happy. <laughs> You know, if I had any short-term memory at all, I'd be totally offended by that, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Bob. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> what I'm saying is that I'm, uh, I've, spent a, I've spent a long time going through this world not knowing that that's what was happening, or at least not, not at least getting a a hint about it, you know? Yeah, because it it happens so quickly, you genuinely think that you're angry at the other person when usually it's past childhood stress Oh, that that you're, that is erupting in you and then you yell at others because you're being yelled at internally, right? I mean, the time that I wasted in politics, you know, just talking about politics, it's all just... It's all just rehashing my childhood over and over and over again. It's just, I saw this everywhere once. It was a show you did in December where you were talking to a guy who had, I don't want to go too much into detail, but you were talking to a guy who had, who had, uh, who had a, a father who used to take off his watch before he hit him. And you went through a role play with him. And I just, I, I didn't realize how much I was doing that role play along with it. And uh, I, I had this moment where I just, like the, the tears that came on when, I re- when, you, when you said to him, do you realize that's not your dad? That's, that's you. 
you know, your dad is the asshole that used to take his watch off. You know, he's, he's, he's living in California or wherever. And, uh, it's the person inside. And then you said that that person was there to protect him. Um, that sudden realization just, when I realized that's what my own voices were doing, I, um, the, the, uh, tears that came on were kind of like, uh, they were almost like laughter. They, they had the same kind of sudden involuntary nature that like, you know, having the giggles does. It's relief. Yeah. It's relief because with knowledge comes the power to change, but the knowledge has to be accurate. So it's relief. It's like when you finally find something that you've been desperately looking for, you kind of giggle, right? Like, oh, 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 wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you feel this relief because now you can stop looking and you can start doing. Yeah. Relief is the best word for it because it's, uh, I, um, I'm the middle of, of six kids growing up and, uh, I'm a fourth child and I was always trying to manage all of the conflict. And, uh, I was very empathetic when I was growing up and my mom is an absolute complete narcissist and she's different than a sadist in that way. She, what she did was out of necessity to get what she needed or wanted. It wasn't like it may, she may have enjoyed it, but, but that was immaterial. It was, it was that she wanted something. And a narcissist is just more like a lion. Yeah. Than a torturer. A lion is just, well, I'm hungry. So I'm going to go eat a gazelle. Yeah. They only focus on, they don't focus on the needs of the gazelle. They're just hungry. Got to go eat a gazelle, but they're not sadists. They don't torture the gazelle. Right. Yeah. I mean, doesn't matter much to the gazelle that are dead either way. But uh, it is different usually from somebody who's sadistical uh, who will torture when they're not hungry. Yeah. Uh, the sadists are more dangerous. Uh, but the narcissists, they're okay if you're not conflicting with any of their needs. But the moment you conflict with any of their needs, I mean, you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. Like, this is why I'm, I, I just I, – I, I recognize um, – such empathy in my, my oldest daughter. I mean, my, my youngest daughters, they're, they're very empathetic, but they're also two years old (laughs) and they, they, they do like, and I love them for it. They do like to have things done their way, especially right now as they're climbing up on things and stuff. They really like to do things by themselves. And, uh, now let me, let me ask you something though. Yeah. Um, if you're sort of aware of, of this aspect of yelling, yeah. I believe that most times people are yelling at children. It's in a twisted attempt to protect them from their inner parent. In other words, if your mother was in the room and seeing your daughter's doing something yeah. that she disapproved of or that made her angry or upset or anxious or whatever, 
then she might really lash out at them. So in a weird kind of way, when you yell at your children to not do something, it's often because your mother is metaphorically standing over your shoulder and about to rage at them if they do something wrong. So it's a kind of strange way to protect your children from the abusive parent. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I I have this, that particular complexity that you're talking about, about constantly managing, you know, these external dangers internally, like, I'm always, I'm always, man, that was really unclear. Uh, uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is like, I'll, I'll be doing something where no one could possibly be present. Like I'll be, everyone's asleep in the house or whatever. And I'm downstairs tinkering with something. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be like wondering what someone would think if I was, if they were there. Yeah, no, and I, I've had this with my daughter. Uh, if if she, like, I put her to bed and and I'll, I you know read with her, we chat, uh, and I'll lie with her usually until she falls asleep. And I'll come downstairs, and I'll see that she left a mess somewhere, right? Crayons or yeah, something. And. This is the kind of thing that my mother used to vent her temper with. I mean, she didn't care about the mess. She's an incredibly messy person. But she liked having the mess as an excuse to vent that made her not feel evil. So I go downstairs. And I see a mess my daughter's left. And she's pretty good at tidying, but I see a mess my daughter's left. And I can feel myself tensing up a little bit. And I feel like saying, you can't leave that mess. We'll get in trouble. Leaving that mess is dangerous. I need to stop you from making that mess because we'll get in trouble. And this idea of harming your children to keep them safe is very common. Happens in the black community, right? They say we have to hit our children because otherwise they won't have respect and fear of authority. They'll mouth off to a white cop and get blown away. Hmm. It's not true, but it makes them feel less like they're just beating their kids, right? Plus, you know, becomes white people's fault which is not exactly unknown, white males in particular. Ooh, we're bad. But this idea of yelling at your kids to keep them safe is a very common source, I think, of parental anxiety. And the desire to control your children so they don't provoke the abusive grandparent. I think is quite a strong driver for this stuff. I mean, I, that, that does explain like why it always seems to have like an urgent quality to it. It's not like when, like it's usually, let's say that I'm giving the twins a bath and one of them's, you know, trying to, you know, get too close to the toilet or something like that. 
you know, something that could be dangerous, you know, or standing on wet ground where they could slip or something. It's like, well, here, don't do that. Don't do that. And then, you know, it, it slowly escalates or maybe not so slowly, but it escalates to where I'm like, well, just don't do that, you know, and You know, and it, and it can escalate escalate beyond that, but it always does kind of right seem to now. Be like and, an I'm sorry to interrupt, but sorry, go ahead. Obviously, obviously, you care hugely about your daughters, but is is some part of it? If they fall, they'll get hurt, or if they fall, I'll get in trouble. No, that's what it is. It's the second one because I have I. I have to keep bad things from happening. It's your responsibility. And if anything bad happens to them, you will get in trouble. Yeah. And I don't mean that you then don't care if they fall and hurt themselves. But I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say that the escalation and the anxiety makes it very difficult to think clearly in that moment, right? Yeah. I mean, I... Children, I mean, children respond when you lower your voice, right? We think that if you escalate, you get people's attention. But I find with my daughter, if I, if I become quieter, because as you can imagine, I'm pretty animated in my conversations with my daughter, but if I'm like, whoa, 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 hey, wait, 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 shh, (laughs) right? Yeah. That really gets her attention, and she listens to me much better than, I mean, not that I've ever raised my voice, but she listens to me much better when I'm quieter and speak more slowly, as we all do, right? I mean, if someone's yelling at you a lot, you tend to tune out, you tend to turn off. It's overwhelming, yeah. particularly if that person is like 10 times your size. But if that person comes down to eye level, makes sure that there's eye contact and says, listen, I need to tell you something. It's really important. You know, that wet floor, not good. Yeah. Right? And if you prepare all of that, that to me is, you know, soft words leave footprints. Loud words are just like wind in the desert. A lot of shit goes up in the air, but nothing fundamentally gets left behind. But soft words brand themselves into children's minds, quiet words. But loud words tend to raise everybody's static level to the point where no communication can occur. It's just noise. And it's overwhelming noise, right? Yeah. Well, it, and it, it, I'm, it's like too much current. It blows the fuse. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm six foot four and 200 pounds. And <laughs> I've, I've got to look like a, a giant to them. Yeah. I'm six foot and 200 pounds. And <laughs> so obviously I have an ab. <laughs> yeah. So obviously it's quite different, but, um, yeah, so I think we know that when you lower your tone, children are more likely to listen than if you continually read, but the reason we do it is because we're in a state of anxiety and we're in a state of somebody looking over your shoulder. I mean, why I couldn't have my mother around while I'm parenting is because she's around anyway, and I don't need to feed that. Right. 
you know, going. I mean, going, go, ghosts sorry. are scary enough, but you don't want them to be made flesh too, right? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was just, I was just gonna say, you know, this, like maybe two days before I contacted Michael, I, I um, I uh, my my two daughters, I mean, they're they're extremely adventurous, and uh, and they, you know, they feed off of each other. You know, two kids is more than just double. It's oh yeah, no, I've heard that. It's sure. it's a J curve, and and uh, they and uh, one of them has figured out how to get had figured out how to get deadbolts open, and uh, so we're you know constantly switching the little doorknob protectors from you know upstairs to downstairs until we can get to the. Like it was like a couple of days after she, after we discovered she knew how to open these doors. And I went downstairs to grab something in the basement, and my wife went upstairs to to help my daughter with some, with a with a project from school. And and I was on my way back upstairs. When I got upstairs, the twins were out the door. You mean like out the front door? Out the front door. Right. And not in sight anywhere. I mean, just, Terrifying. I, I, I've never run so hard in my life. I've never, I've never run so fast. I mean, I completely burnt my lungs up just running around. I mean, I was, I must've looked like a crazy person to people, but I was just, I was in my bare feet. I was just running everywhere to find them. I had all these visions in my head, you know, what could have happened and, Oh yeah, you, you you think like you're gonna find a skull with tire tracks in it? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, no, I I get all of that. All, all for those who don't know, all parenting is basically you're trying to serve, turn yourself into a human shield against the endless javelins of disaster constantly raining down from the planet. <laughs> That's absolutely. Hey, they're still alive. Good job. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna get. It, Dad. They're still alive. That should be like a T-shirt, you know, yeah. like. Two thumbs up, you know, still breathing, mostly intact. Yeah. I, and so, no, I get it. I get it. As soon as I, you know, got my head together, I figured, oh, hey, I've got a bike. Grabbed the bike, got on the bike, much more effective. And how how far did they get? They got really Went far. to the airport, checked the checkout counter. They knew, Fortunately, they'd only gone to Kuala Lumpur, got the next flight. <laughs> they like, knew well, exactly no. where they were going. They're, they're like maybe – Two houses through the through the backyards of two houses of two other houses is a uh, public, uh, you know, like a neighborhood playground. And they headed right oh, that's there. So they headed to the playground. They went right for the playground. My my eleven year old, she said, "Let's go check the playground." And so I got on my bike, and you know, she's thinking a lot more clearly than I am. And I went right there, and that's what they're that's what they're doing. They're at the playground. They look like they had just gotten off of one of the slides. And to them, it's, you know, it's, hey, we just went to the playground. What's the problem? <laughs> and I Well, but I mean, had you talked to them about sort of the boundaries and. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have. We I every time that I take them, like I, I take them to the garage or I take them to the front door, front steps. And I and I have them sit there without moving. You know, like, hey, can you sit there right there where I, where, while I'm adjusting the sprinkler head? And then they'll sit there, and I and uh, I I try to get them to to 
to to exercise control over wanting to just run all over once they get freedom. But you know, it obviously wasn't effective that day. Can you can can you fence up the yard a little there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the uh, the uh, contracts have gone out. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying a huge amount of electricity. No. <laughs> Clearly, some would yeah, be in order. Maybe small, or maybe those maybe in small collars. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's that's pretty terrifying. I mean, I, I that's it was it was really horrifying. terrifying. But the thing was um, is that when I talked to them, when I found them, there was no yelling in it. I was just like relieved to find them. Right. You no, know, it was just like this massive relief washed over me, and I just said. You know, what could I possibly say to them? Could I possibly yell to them to get them to understand what I was going through other than to just hug them and let them know like how, you know, just tell them how worried I was and just hug them. And that's all I could do. No, of course. Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, and then they certainly weren't doing anything malicious. No, they, they, yeah, they, I mean, they look, told I, I, me, they said, they said, we just went on the slide. I mean, they just told I me. Mean, sure. It was almost like, oh, hey, you got here. You know, it was like, And they didn't, uh, they didn't cross the road. They certainly didn't obviously know that they were breaking any particular rules. No. And so, yeah, I think, I think definitely prevention and preparation is yeah. there. Look, I, I'll tell you, I'm of two minds. I think like most parents, you worry about being overprotective and underprotective. So on the overprotective side, I think, well, watch a nature documentary with monkeys. Right. I mean, those moms are like those monkey moms. They're like swinging through the vines with babies hanging onto their back hair, picking at nits and having a meal to go. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the monkeys pretty much don't die. Right. And so I think, well, so we evolved with like living in trees with jaguars and all this crap around and lightning strikes and forest fires and hanging, swinging and hanging onto fur. And, you know, we pretty much made it right. So for the most part, you know, kids are safer than you think. Now I get, we're not exactly in a hugely natural environment. Yeah. My brother, when he was a kid, I don't know how old, when he was a kid, he had a friend, he was in the back seat of the car and his friend Opened the door, stepped out, killed by a car. Just creamed. Just vanished. And my brother also was in a car and parked on a hill and he was messing around with the parking brake. Pushed the button, parking brake, rolls down, full on risky business style. Fortunately, he did not become a U-boat commander, as they say. So there are no stairs in the jungle, right? Yeah. So kids, you know, I, I and mean, again, my daughter's never been in any particular danger, but I do sometimes, as a parent, you look around at all the adults and say, well, they're alive. <laughs> you know, they made it. Uh, but it is, you know, as, as yeah. Dave Barry says about toddlers, they're basically just giant death magnets. And it is, um, you are in a constant state of low-grade anxiety. And, um, and that's, and you know, carrying not ghosts always, but around often. with you at the same time. 
yeah, and so with the ghosts as well, uh, it is um, it is alarming. And of course, remember, I mean, a, a lot of times, uh, the one thing I will say about parents, older generation parents, is that they were often preparing their children for a lot harsher kind of world than we have in many ways. Yeah, a world with uh, you know maybe more racism, a world with more homophobia, a world with um, stronger and stricter and more dangerous social standards. Uh, and um, there is this belief that if you hurt children, they um, they're easier to manage socially. And I think that's more true for girls than it is for boys. And I think it's not true. I think obviously the whole purpose of the show is that we build a free society when we treat children reasonably. If you want a rational world, reason with the children. If you want a world where all the children speak English, everybody should speak English to their children. Yeah. If you want a world which is rational, reason with your children. It's not something that's going to suddenly pop into their head when they're 18. Something's a language that's got to be taught, listened to, developed, and understood throughout a child's life. And then the child will speak reason and evidence like you and I are having this conversation in England, English without even really thinking about it. Yeah. But uh, I think that um, the ghosts often propel the harms of the living it's not it's not my mother's hand it was her mother's hand that was hitting me and she was hitting me to protect me from her mother who hit her or for the world that was being blown up when she was a child in the war yeah stay safe stay safe stay safe and there's this belief that if you traumatize a child you're keeping that child safe, right? Spank the child, otherwise the child will grow up with no discipline. Spank the child, otherwise the child will grow up with no respect for authority, which came from a time when not having respect with authority, I mean, when I was six, I was caned in boarding school. And my mother could have said, well, I hit you because you only got caned once or twice, right? Other kids got caned a lot more, so you'd already learned it was bad and it kept you safe. It's kind of a tautological argument or a circular argument, right? We Where does it stop? We Well, we hit kids to keep them safe from kids who grew up to hit other kids to keep them safe, from kids who grew up to hit other yeah. kids to keep them safe. From, it just never stops, right? At some point, you've got to stop. Yeah, I, I, I found out a while ago that um, I have an ancestor named Thor in the 1400s or something. Oh, okay. It's going to say how, yeah. how far back it's yeah, going. Yeah, exactly. fairly long ago. And I, I have no idea what Thor's life was like or anything, but I had these images in my head of these swords and ax- these axes and shields being passed down from generation to generation, you know. Oh, yeah, like Thor, like either a total Viking or an immense gay porn actor. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure which. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I'm but just I, going with the helmet motif. Yeah. 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 If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. Yeah. yeah. All over this bathhouse. All right. Um, so, yeah, I, and this is the purpose of self-knowledge and of confronting sort of your inner alter egos is to make sure that they're part of your conversation and not driving your freakouts. Yeah. And I think that that really helps. Um, so as far as stuff around bath time, yeah, baths are slippery and, and so on. Yeah. And um, I think it's just a matter and, – and kids, they get hysterical and they drive each other mental, you know, and that's part of the fun of childhood. 
is, uh, you know, <laughs> laughing till the milk runs out of your nose is pretty fundamental to childhood fun. But uh, having them understand uh, about dangers and so on, it's it's prevention and preparation. That's sort of the only thing. And you know this. I mean, you're a more experienced father than I am by far. So, but prevention and preparation is is key, and that will reduce risks. You cannot eliminate risks without eliminating childhood, right? Yeah, it's that's uh, that's what childhood is. And well, and it's what life is. Yeah. You know, we don't want children to grow up with no sense of risk. Otherwise, they can't be virtuous. Because these days. <laughs> Virtue is risky, and we hope to create a world where vice is risky, but right now vice is pretty strongly rewarded, so we're still working on that. But uh, we we don't want to raise entirely risk-inexperienced or risk-averse children. Otherwise, they definitely will inherit a world less moral than, than ours. Yeah. I, um, Steph, I just wanted to also – this is your birthday. I just wanted to say um, how the first show that I ever watched – uh, listen to yours was just a just a what to watch recommendation from YouTube, you know. And uh, it was the Elysium show of all shows. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who clicks on it is like, wow, no, Elysium. That's a picture of Matt Damon. It's an hour and forty five oh. minutes long. Woohoo! Hey, what the? Yeah, I was trying to. <laughs> I, I was trying to manage, you know, the liberals around me who loved the show, you know. I got to argue these guys out of this stupid show. And Elysium popped up, you know, and your your show on Elysium. And the amount of truth that I saw there, I mean, it just kept me coming back for more. I mean, I just really connected with that, everything. And then when you started talking about, you know, not spanking your children and, and uh, I mean, I used to be like this, you know, the, the kind of, the kind of, uh, conservative, you know, that, uh, that made everyone uncomfortable because I would have to manage them and, you know, argue them out of whatever idea I thought was crazy when I held crazy ideas. And, uh, and, uh, when I started examining this personal stuff, that, the, all those, all that stuff just fell off. Yeah, don't you just like who cares about politics now? I'm, yeah, I, I'm doing the real stuff. Someone starts talking right? to me about politics. I just, I just leave the room. I don't want to talk about. It. I want to hear about it. I don't even know who's running. It's just so pointless and and silly. Yeah, politics for me is like I'm so tired of veiled references to your own parents. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> that's all it is to me. Absolutely. I mean, if we're not going to talk about the real thing, let's not do the stand-ins, right? Yeah, and and. And I started to realize that, that the guys that I liked were these, you know, these guys that brought out this reaction in me, you know, that I got to, you know, it's all like you say, like, I'm like this uh, tribal protector that's like trying to, you know, manage the perimeter of the tribe, you know. And I mean, that's the reason why conservative, conservatism appealed to me. But once, I mean, that stuff just fell off. Once I started looking at this and the thing that's amazing, and this is why I just, you know, if my daughter ever hears this, I just want, you know, everyone to know that empathy, like she, she saw the changes happening in me without me saying anything. I wasn't, you know, this was an internal thing for me for a while. And she noticed in days the changes happening. 
I mean, she just noticed so quickly. I mean, it's just like the connection that she has. I mean, and, uh, you know, I, I started doing, um, I've had, a, uh, I, I started doing some trial. I wasn't trying to do, you know, full separations, but I started doing trial separations with people in my family who were so abusive growing up just so that I could see for myself how I changed when I was around them versus not and not feeling like I needed to be around them. And um, my sister tried to surprise me with my parents when I told everyone in my family that I would not see my parents. And, uh, you know, we showed up to Easter for Easter egg hunts with the kids and there's my parents. And, uh, I didn't realize how I would react. I, 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 I was all, I thought I was keeping it internal. And, uh, cause that's what I feel like I got to do, you know? And, uh, it was, I, I, I felt fear. I just, it was like fear. Just, I, it is the kind of fear that people talk about when they're suddenly thrown into a, public speaking engagement with no speech, you know, like I just, it was fear down deep down inside. And I'd never noticed that that was fear. And my daughter noticed immediately, you know, everyone's, you know, chatting it up and acting like this is some great reunion. And she's looking at me and she notices immediately. And she said, you know, dad, are you okay? You know, and I, and I just, I had to explain to her like how I felt, you know, that I, I, when my twins were born, my, uh, my mom refused to see them after she'd been talking about how excited she was that we were finally having kids. She was going through some kind of depression or whatever she wants to call it, whatever she, whatever excuse she had for it. But she told my dad to tell me that she couldn't see them because she didn't want everyone to see that she couldn't experience any joy around them. And, uh, and then about a month and a half later, she attempted suicide. Mm. And uh, she tried to kill herself with sleeping pills. And uh, my dad found her and, you know, she was not responsive. And my dad, you know, got her into an ambulance. The ambulance administered anti, anti uh, what do you call it? Whatever it is, it's something that they do when this sort of thing gets called out and I mean, she came to in the hospital with everyone surrounding her. And all I saw on her face was shame that everyone was seeing her like that. You know, like, I just saw on her the consequence that everyone was seeing her. Not, not a recognition that all of us were afraid. 
and that all of us, you know, were trying, you know, were desperately there, you know, hoping that she wouldn't die. But I don't understand why, why didn't she die? I mean, if you want to kill yourself, I don't understand how it's that complicated. Right? She, I mean, you just I throw yourself exactly off a where cliff this comes or from. put a gun to your head. I mean, how how is it really that hard to kill yourself? And she was doing it because this is what she does. She wasn't trying to kill herself. I don't think that she would have died. She's a nurse. So she knows, the, and you know, she knew your dad was coming home, I assume, and she knew how much to take to scare people but not to kill herself. Yeah, and this is... That's the reason nice. this this woke up in me. I I when this happened, I mean, first when the when she refused to see the twins, and when I had to hide from my daughter that she would say something so damaging, you know, because my daughter is older, you know, and so I have to make up reasons why. She's not seeing the twins. Why grandma isn't seeing the two babies that we're all so proud of. And uh, then this happened. And uh, when I was about 15 or so, she recognized a long time ago that she had to treat my brother one way, my younger brother another way. And to me, she could say incredibly damaging emotional things, and I would react how she wanted and she would tell me when we were, you know, every week she would, it was just like what you were describing with your mom where she would, you know, use uncleanliness as an excuse. Yeah. With my mom, she would just, you know, walk around the house with a garbage sack crying that the house was not clean. And my mom was, it was just such a, if, if you if you weren't a child growing up in it, it was it was you know a pitiful. Now that I'm older and I look back on it, it, it's it's ridiculous. But it affected me tremendously. And she would, and she would tell me during this time. This was, she had been a nurse, and my dad was a software engineer, and one day she decided that she needed to stay home for the kids. And stopped and quit her job and all this stuff. And while she's home for the kids, all she is is this monster that comes out of her room every once in a while, crying and sobbing with a garbage sack in her hand. And and uh, she would tell me, and it was usually only when I was there, not when my brothers were there or anything. She would say, you know, if I got cancer, then you would appreciate me. And, you know, my, I, I look back on when she would say that, and I just, to me it was like, you make me want to have cancer. You mean your mother was sort of saying to you, you children are so ungrateful, you make me want to have cancer? Yeah, cancer is better okay. than this. That's what she was, that's what it sounded like to me. And uh, I guess it would be a big difference for her having cancer rather than being a cancer. <laughs> she, and she was a cancer. 
every uh, my brothers and sisters they still say well you know at least we know how to parent because mom and dad left all these signs about how not to do it and i'm like yeah and you're the sign and i'm the sign did your mother's um i don't know what you'd call it depression or what did it have anything to do with your wife's pregnancy in other words did it sort of start and escalate over the no, course of the pregnancy she, um my my mom like the behavior hasn't changed, but uh, I mean, she has always gone up and down and up and down and just, you can't talk, you can't say anything that would co- possibly cause her to explode. Um, but uh, right before, or, you know, probably about a year or so before she was diagnosed with Hajimoto's disease um, which is an autoimmune disorder that attacks certain parts of your body. And uh, this just became the new I, – I, I wanted to be there for her and try to do whatever I could to make that easier and all that stuff. But this just became right. an excuse to be a tremendous – because I was still stuck in that. I was still being ruled by these old ghosts. Right. So, I mean, she wanted you for that, but yeah. your own feelings probably didn't matter that much, right? No, not at all. And then when I, you know, started to realize that that was what was happening, that I'm trying to manage, that, I, that I'm still just trying to manage the fear that I feel around whatever disappointment or punishment can come from my parents or from my family, I, I felt like I gotta I gotta do something for mom. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> people, amoral people. This is a big secret of life. I'm going to share it with you and only you. Nobody <laughs> else. It's a big secret of life. Amoral people do what works. Amoral people will do what works. Now, you can appeal to amoral people or immoral people based on ethics because they don't do ethics, right? They're not into it. The only way to change amoral people is to fuck their strategies. The only way to affect any change in behavior in amoral or immoral people is to have whatever they're doing not work anymore. And that has to be relentless. And in that moment where you say, I am no longer going to feed your dysfunction, what they call enablement, the reason why you're, it's not your fault, but fundamentally, why does your mother do what she does? Because it works. And it worked to get your father. It worked to get out of going to work. It worked, it worked, it worked. It gets her what she wants. Now, what she wants isn't healthy. I get that. But amoral people, amoral people, amoral people do what works. And the only way to change them, you don't reason with them. You don't, you just, this doesn't work. This no longer works. My mom Hey, when I was a kid, yeah, I get it. Yelling and screaming worked. Why? Because I was a kid. Hitting me worked. Why? Because I was a kid. It worked because I couldn't leave. 
in the same way most people use the post office because they have to. Most people send their kids to public school because they got taxed too high to send them to private school. They have to. Now, when I became an adult, well, suddenly we went from communism to capitalism, right? We went from enforced relationships to voluntary relationships. I had to see my mom when I was a kid. Didn't have to see her when I was an adult. Families always get privatized. <laughs> yeah. They do. Yeah. They do. You got to go home when you're a kid. Where the hell are you going to go? But you don't have to go visit your abusive parents when you're an adult. Everybody's family gets privatized through time. And I'm aware of that with my daughter. My daughter, hey, I'm communist dictatorship right now. But she is going to get progressively privatized. My relationship with her is going to get progressively privatized. And if, pe if parents understand that, if parents, and you, I'm not talking to you, you're a delightful guy and you get it, right? But if everyone in the post office knew that the post office was going to be privatized in five years, what would they do? They would, uh, they would maybe start acting a little bit more like FedEx. Yeah, they'd start working hard. They'd start providing value. They'd start caring about performance reviews because they'd know that their contracts were going to be torn up and everything was going to be cast to the winds and energies of the free market in only five years. So they would improve now because it was going to get privatized, right? Yeah. So when I talk about the voluntary family, I'm talking about that which is necessary for parents to improve now. So if parents know, if they understand, and if the concept goes that adult relationships are voluntary, what a shock, it's all factual. If parents know that as parents, their relationship is going to get privatized, they will improve now. This is the only way to fix parenting now. Otherwise, we've got to wait for another goddamn generation. I don't have time to wait for another generation. The world doesn't have time for us to wait for another generation because evil is growing in leaps and bounds and debts and wars and yeah. dependency. We don't have time to wait anymore. We have to snake back improvements into the parenting in the here and now. And that is sounding the death knell of abuse, which is privatization. The only cure for corruption is voluntarism. The only cure for corruption is voluntarism. Telling people the family is voluntary is telling these postal workers, you're going to get your asses privatized, babies. Yeah. That's why you have to improve. Now. This You can't get into the family and fix it. You can't. You can't. It's this, as I've talked about, it's this big, giant, obsidian biosphere of impenetrability. You cannot go walking around and fix families right now. All you can do is say, hey, you're going to get privatized. And work against the tendency of everyone to force children when they're adults to go see their parents and go do this and go do that. And you have to. She's your mother. She sacrificed everything. She's your dad. He's sick. You need to. No, 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 no. If we can get society to stop hurting the victims of abuse into contact with their abusers, that's called privatizing the family. 
Absolutely. And that's exactly what I learned from feminism. Privatize marriage. Women can leave. They don't have to stay. Just if they're dissatisfied, if they're unhappy, if they don't like it, if they're bored, if they fancy someone else. When you privatize marriage, you improve marriage. When you privatize the post office, you improve the post office. When you privatize air traffic controllers, you improve it. When you privatize the family, you improve the family and you don't have to wait to try and scoop up the victims of child abuse when they're 30 and try to get them to become better parents. You can change it in the here and now by spreading the message of the voluntary family. The voluntary family. If you if you can't get fired, you just won't improve. Yeah. Everybody knows that. And if parents can't get fired, why on earth would they fundamentally improve? Some of them will, for sure. Yeah, it, but my decision. Not Mitt to Romney. See my, remember when? Yeah, sorry, sorry. Remember when Mitt Romney said, "You know, I like being able to fire people." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's right. Yeah, he's right. It's the foundation of democracy. Oh, but it was you a terrible thing for people. him to say, though. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course, I, he's still Mitt Romney. He's still the acolyte of the magic underpants. But still, privatizing the family is the only way to make society as a whole voluntary. Yeah. You know, like, and this, this, what's so funny is that as I haven't talked to my parents and I, and I refuse to see them and my brothers and sisters, they now understand that I'm not going to come to events with my parents there. That like, I, I've, I had, I had my brother like coming to me saying, you know, you know, what about forgiveness and all that stuff? And I'm just like, look, I, I realized where that was coming from for him. Because I've heard him say some pretty awful things to his kids. And he's doing that, I would argue, because he can wave around the magic flag called you have to forgive me, even though his negative things that he said to his kids came about from him explicitly not forgiving them for whatever he was yelling about. That's number one. And number two, abusive parents rely upon this fucking phalanx of society. This phalanx of society traps any kid who's trying to get away as an adult from an abusive parent and herds them back in. They're like a bunch of slave catchers out there. Any slave tries to get away, they catch them and return them back to the plantation. And slavery ends not when the government says it's now illegal. Slavery ends when people stop participating in catching the slaves. When the government stops catching the slaves then you don't need to do anything else. It ends. And society as a whole, parents, abusive parents, rely on society blocking anybody trying to get away from abusive parents and shaming them into going back. And that's what drives the abuse. Look, how much would you care about the quality of of your restaurant food if everyone in the neighborhood was forced to eat there every night or forced to pay even if they didn't go. We understand that government schools are crappy because people are forced to pay for them. They're subsidized through force. Well, abusive parenting is subsidized through social pressure. Through, what do you mean you don't see your parents? What do you mean you don't see your abusers? Well, maybe they abused you for 20 years, but you're going to go back, right? At some point, 
I mean, imagine saying that to a woman who'd been beaten up by her husband for 20 years. Well, what do you mean you don't see your abusive husband? I mean, fine, take a little break, but obviously you're going to go back and live with him, right? You can't just leave. But he abused me for 20 years. I'm sure he did the best he could with the knowledge he had, right? So the privatization of the family is foundational to the freedom of the world. We cannot get to a free society while the family remains fascist, communist, socialist, the state, which you cannot escape. And subsidizing abusive parents with allegiance is a fundamental crime against virtue because it enables child abuse. That's why it happens. Because society herds the adult victims back into the tender mercies of the abusers and deliver not just the adult victims of child abuse through social pressure back into the abusers' homes, but the abusers' grandchildren get delivered unto the abusers as well. And then the abusers both traumatize the grandchildren directly and through evoking trauma in the parents continue that trauma even when they're not around. Absolutely. It's... When you describe all this stuff, it's just, it's just so mad. It's so crazy the way that society... They don't see these schisms and the ver- and the things that they're talking about. And uh, I just, my I I will say that um, you know I, I I talk about my daughter a lot because I just I love her to death and she uh, she came home from her friend's house a few months ago and uh, and uh, her friend and her were doing some creative project. And, uh, and, uh, her mom came down and saw them, you know, using water soluble glue on the kitchen table and decided to take my, my daughter's friend in front of my daughter down to the basement so that only my daughter could hear and proceeded to spank her for using water soluble glue on the table. And my daughter came home and she was so stricken by that. And I, and I told her, I said, I said, I would burn all the furniture in the house. I would never touch you in a million years. And what is happening to your friend is not right. And there's, and someday she, she is going to know that what her mom did to her is not right. Oh, if I have any say in it, she certainly will hear that. Absolutely. And I want to thank you so much for doing that. This conversation that you're doing is, is been life changing for me. Like I say, it's only been since the Elysium show that I've been listening, but I can't get enough of it. I'm one of these guys that listen to, Everything Thomas Sowell put out, everything Milton Friedman put out, I mean, just like, you know, absorbing everything. I even went back to the classics and listened to Montesquieu and 
you know, as much as uh, that as I could stand anyway. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I got your show and just like, you know, I've been focusing on the wrong problems. Oh, and it's tempting, right? Yeah. It's very tempting. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's often struck me because I mean, the analogies are so clear, right? So w- women very easily were able to, after the sort of the pill, the sixties and so on, women very quickly and were relatively easily able to convince society of the need to get out of abusive relationships. Well, my husband beat me. My husband's a drunk. My husband's a, a do nothing, lay about nothing, whatever. Right? So then they, and everyone's like, go girl power, right? But that's not what happens when someone like me or other people talk to adult victims of child abuse about voluntary relationships. I don't tell people to leave their families. I tell them it's possible, but they can't, right? So what's the difference? Well, this ties into why I talk about female entitlement. Because you see, we naturally wish to please women. We naturally wish to do what women want for two reasons. One, we're raised by women and we're used to conforming to them. And number two, women hold the eggs. And our species is such that rape is a very bad reproductive strategy as well as being evil. Women hold the eggs and so we conform to women. Now, when women say we want something, in general, men are conditioned to try to provide them, which is, as I've said before, why men provided labor-saving devices for women before life-saving devices for men. In other words, we built washing machines before we put air filters in mines and factories. So when women said, we want out of bad relationships, society pretty much said, okay, women want it, okay. Women and children first, white knights, whatever, and some raised by women, women got the eggs, okay, go ahead, right? Ah, so it was at the expense of men and to the benefit of women. That's how we roll as a gender. The concept of defooing, the concept of the voluntary family, that goes against the interests of women. Because women in general raise children. Mothers spend usually much more time with children than fathers do. So now this, you see, goes against what women want. Now, it's enormously hypocritical, of course, for women to say, well, we want to be able to leave abusive relationships that we chose as adults, that we could leave left at any time. We want that right, and we should be praised for it. But then, and particularly in this show where there's more men than women callers, This is something which benefits men at the expense of women. Horror of horrors. You see, leaving abusive relationships, that's for women who chose to go into those abusive relationships. And the victims are men and the beneficiaries are women, so that's fine. But when men call into this show and I say, or what people hear, you don't have to see your mother. Well, you see, that benefits men at the expense of women. That goes completely against everything that we're conditioned for. The white knight, feminine pleasing, give me access to the eggs and don't hit me mommy stuff that goes on 
in the collective Borg brain of the species. You see? That's why it's so contentious. Because I am providing something, and it's not just me, of course, right? But I am making an argument that disproportionately benefits men at the expense disproportionately of women. And that is not acceptable because apparently we're a patriarchy. We're just not very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> it really does seem crazy when you when you say that like that. I mean, the idea that I lived in a patriarchy growing up was... <laughs> 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 I shouldn't laugh because it's. Oh yeah, no, it's mad. It's yeah, mad. no, it's laughing at the people. I mean, we even that. had a queen, for God's sake. Yeah, anyway. yeah, I know. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, you know, the queen's the one that moves around on the chessboard the best. Oh yeah, no, the queen's got all the power. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the idea yeah, that I my mean, dad any, was uh, any kind of a king, that that he, as far as I'm concerned, my dad was. My dad was gone a long time ago. He was just a branch of my mom. You know, and and the idea that I lived in a patriarchy is just it's it's lunacy. And uh, Yeah, I mean what what I was saying to the first caller, do something that protects yourself at the expense of a woman's preferences. Uh, like can't process, right? Yeah. Can't process. See, women are allowed voluntarism, but men are disposable and must serve the needs of women. Right? It's it's he for she, right? Yeah. Men have to serve women and give them what they want when they stamp their feet and provide them what they need and never be inconvenient to women. Because women are innocent and treasures and men are disposable and utilities. Yeah. Anyway, listen, I'm so sorry to, to be annoying. It's um it's late. Yes, I, I've been up for like way too long. It's our and, first day of your uh, first year. I hugely appreciate the call, though. I tell you this, man, your kids are lucky buckets of protoplasm. They really, really are. I mean, I think that you are a very reflective and very sensitive. I could hear the emotion underlying, and I was thinking about maybe going in in, in pursuit of it, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, but um, you're very sensitive, very open-hearted, very open to change, very open to self-criticism without self-attack. Your kids and your wife, I hope they get how lucky they are to be in the presence of and live in the home of a man who's willing to to take all this on and reform and, and keep them safe by defying the social convention with regards to parents by keeping them safe in that degree. I'm sorry about your siblings. Hopefully they'll turn around. Look, a lot of siblings, they want to rope you back in because they don't want to deal with the parent alone, right? <laughs> you got to come, man. Don't make me go alone, <laughs> right? So, and nobody wants to be the last one, right? The, the uh, like that that youngest uh, daughter in the movie Chocolat, who's just got to stay with her mom right. because she's the youngest and too bad, right? So a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with any ethics or anything like that. Uh, it just has to do with you know, well, if you're not here, then I have to put out more resources for this crap and and so on. It's got nothing to do with ethics. It's just resource management and guilting and kind of crap, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I, you know, I really, really appreciate your, your calling in, you know, anytime you want to call in, please feel free. 
Uh, I'm incredibly sorry uh, that the birth of your twins was clouded by what your mom did. That's so horrendous. I mean, wow, look at that. The narcissist brought her attention, brought the attention of everyone back to her. Wow. Who would have guessed, <laughs> right? So I'm, uh, I'm really, really sorry about that. Um, the but boy, is that, uh, the consolation is that I've got these three wonderful kids and I've, I've, I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're amazing just watching them. And, uh, um, I just, I really thank you, Steph, for everything that you're doing. I, I have, exp- I, I can't thank you enough for, for every show that you've put out that I've listened to has just been one show after the other. Just amazing. It's, and I, I just want to also say that, um, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm a UX designer. I've been working for some time in this, you know, in the sort of creative technical space. And, uh, I could not hire if someone gave me the job description and gave me all the time in the world. I could not hire someone like Michael. I would not find him. And he's mine. <laughs> yeah. Mine, I tell you, but it that's why we don't let him out anymore. Um, <laughs> we feel that sunlight plus exposure to alternative, less, less sexually harassing workplaces might give yeah. him too many, uh, yeah. too many options. So, no, I appreciate Thank that. Thank you, Scott. Uh, that's incredibly kind of you. Appreciate you're, it. You're an, you're an awesome man. Both of you guys are just incredible. And Stoyan, of course, uh, just amazing people. I, I, the quality of stuff that you guys put out over and over and over again is just I, I've never seen anything like it, heard anything like it either. So, And you, you never will again because this moment in history will never come this way again. And yeah. everything that comes after us has us, just in the same way that uh, I had Ayn Rand and, and the people who came before That's, me. Uh, this, this will never happen again. This is why I think it's so important. So with that having been said, thanks everyone so much. If you want to help out with the show, fdrurl.com slash donate. Uh, it's just really important. I mentioned it before. This show will go as far as you want it to. It will go no further than you want it to. So it doesn't have to be money. You can share the show. You can talk the show up with people, post it on message boards. Don't spam, but, you know, I mean, where appropriate. But um, this show will only go as far as you want it to go. And one of the easiest and best ways to help support it, to help us grow. We have now, of course, two employees, uh, I guess three employees since we're all pretty much coworkers. And uh, so fdrurl.com slash donate to uh, help out the show if you can. Really appreciate that. And uh, have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful day, everyone. We will talk to you soon.